0: Hello, and welcome back to This Is Our Design, Pop Optics podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series, uh, formerly on NBC and based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I'm Sean Colletti. My co host is Kate Kolzick, TV editor at popoptic.com and writer at TheAVClub.com And our guest this week is our honorary third co host, Noel Kirkpatrick from TV.com. It feels like it's been forever. How have you been?
1: I've been really
2: well. How have you
1: two been? I've been well, and I've been... It's been a busy time over at PopOptic. Yeah. I bet. Uh, And uh, I will say, part as I've been going through and spending God knows how many hours... uh, clicking buttons and saving things and seeing how that messes up or doesn't mess up the launch of our of our new site uh i've been listening to a lot of podcasts so i have finally caught up with the tv.com podcast and enjoyed myself immensely i'm jealous of y'all for coming up with totally tubular because that's a fantastic name for podcast about tv and naming is the worst so. It is, and I can't take any credit
2: for that. That was actually probably Price Peterson when he and Tim started it like a couple of years ago. So that's all Price, I think.
1: Well, good on him because yeah. I felt like an idiot for never having considered anything in that vein when I was when I was listening to it, and I've been enjoying it. So thank you so much for making time to come back on. Oh, th- I'm I'm really
2: excited to be here to discuss this final episode for the foreseeable future. Fingers crossed.
0: Hmm touchy subject (laughs) there's a there's a lot to kind of say up here at the front of course this week we're going to be talking about uh season three episode 13 the wrath of the lamb written by brian fuller steve lightfoot and nick and and directed by michael reimer um so because last week i thought was pretty successful in terms of how we recorded it this podcast just for the sake of listeners will also go through minimal editing processes uh, that will be for your benefit so that you can get this as soon as possible. And there's going to be a lot of stuff here. This is going to be yet another long podcast. I don't actually know what our record is for a uh, podcast with Noel, and I, I know that he holds the record, but I, I feel like this one's going to push the limit.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to try for that to make that happen. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think the last one was like, we at least went three hours, I think, for the finale last, year, last season.
1: Let's see, maybe I we think... can keep this to two. <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's try. Let's
0: yeah. try. You want to try? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's going to be, just uh, to kind of give listeners a heads up about how this is going to go, you're going to get our typical uh, recurring segments, our discussion. There will also be uh, scattered throughout some either clips, or I'll be reading some things from previous This Is Our Design guests. This is all in anticipation or, I guess, um, in... Just in case uh, the series does not come back, uh, we're going to treat it as a potential farewell podcast. And so, well, what we did was ask some of our former guests to send us uh, either a clip or a message that we could read. That you know, just as a thank you to the, the production team and maybe a little bit about what Hannibal's meant to, to them. Um, and you'll be hearing those throughout the podcast. Uh, also near the end, of course, because we have Nolan. This is. A season finale if not a serious finale there will be a, a best of or awards section this one is particularly lengthy and since we are treating it as a potential goodbye there will also be some goodbyes and thank yous uh near the end of the podcast so strap yourselves in uh hopefully you're like on a road trip or it's just a really not busy time in your lives
1: maybe they've got hours of collating to do
0: Maybe you're still recovering from everything that happened in this episode, uh, which I'm anticipating a really great discussion once we get to the was this good or was this not good portion of it because I know that we have some differing opinions. Uh, but more on that in a little bit. I'll uh, we'll kick things off with a little bit of Hannibal by the numbers for the Wrath of the Lamb. Uh, the top three speaking roles for this are Will Hannibal and Dollarhide, as you might expect, just from giving from having watched it. Uh, Will's at 84 lines, Hannibal's at 78. Dollar Hides at 62. Uh, there are 17 total scenes, the longest of which is, of course, the, the final sequence with those three characters that runs 8 minutes and 42 seconds. I also included the majority of the, the credits there just because we still have a camera and things are, action is still happening. So maybe it's like 20 seconds less than that, but whatever. Uh, so those are Hannibal by the numbers, and I know it's going to be tempting to kind of kick things off with. I really like this or so I really didn't um, rather than just immediately ask that maybe as an entry into that I wanted to, to begin by asking Noel whether you think this episode functions better as a season finale or as a series finale and why
2: um I think it's definitely better as a season finale I'm 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 saying definitely better and then I'm just like saying it with a question mark Um, I think it just works better as a season finale in no small part because, well, I just told someone I didn't want to see Murder Husband honeymoon season. At the same time, I'm just kind of wanting to see Murder Husband's honeymoon season, which I'm assuming is what season four would have been. And so for me, this isn't like, it's a really... It's a conclusion to this season, I think, but it's not, for me, a conclusion to this series. I think I needed some sort of closure, just as someone who's read the Harris, Harris material, that I needed, basically, Hannibal to be back in jail so Clarice could find him, basically. I think that's a, where a lot of that is coming from for me, is that this functions as a season finale as opposed for me as opposed to a series finale.
0: So with that, um, where does or do the logistics of a fall like that fit into it?
2: Well, I mean, I don't know where the fall fits into it, mainly because, I mean, they had to have survived, right? Depending on how we want to read the last scene with Bedelia. I mean, how are we reading that last scene with Bedelia kind of discusses how, if they survived in the first place.
0: Okay, maybe we should answer that question right now. Yeah. For me, that's very much, uh, they didn't survive. She cut her own leg off in preparation for the eventual meetup with Hannibal. Uh, actually, Cooper, uh, last week, came on and talked about the, the discussion between Will and Bedelia and how Bedelia seemed to have like an erotic uh, aspect to her in talking about her relationship with Hannibal. Sure. And I think that my reading of that scene kind of falls in line with that. It's a weird eroticism. Um, she was ready to give herself up to him. That's my reading.
2: And I read it like that initially, but then when I rewatched it, there were three places set at the table. So she, either she was in prepare, she was waiting, expecting it to be Hannibal and Will, or Hannibal and Will showed up, and she was the first thing that was on the menu.
1: Uh, should I? Should I jump in? Sure. Okay. This is going to be a fun and lively discussion because. <laughs> yeah. As you're talking about this, Noel, uh, and and this was an interesting Saturday for me watching Twitter because I really seem to be in the minority on this one. Um, All of our critic friends, pretty much everybody that was posting a review online, not everyone, but most everyone whose review I read uh, has a completely different take on this finale and on the last scene and on the the post credit scene uh, than I do. And my read is exactly Sean what you had said, and what Seppenwall's interpretation was before Brian Fuller told him he was wrong. Uh, after which he said, "Oh, I guess you're right," which is very odd to me. Um, but anyways, it's it's that same idea, the concept that Bedelia's fear for Han of Hannibal, Hannibal and her um, knowledge of the way, like the, that, she attempted fate. Through her getting so close to Hannibal and the way that she extricated herself, she knew that she was asking for for trouble if Hannibal ever got out again. Um, And so in in her fear of that and her paranoia and her attempt to get ahead of it, she cut off her leg. Needlessly, because they're fucking dead, guys. They're fucking dead. <laughs> to me, it is goddamn ridiculous that I'm supposed to believe that they survived being stabbed as many times as they were and gut shot, and then fell off that cliff into the ocean where there were a lot of rocks. May I add? Uh, we, the last when's the last time we saw a scene like this? When our victim of the of the um, at the beginning of season two, the God's Eye Gray person, uh, the muralist—that's what his name was. When his victim jumped off cliffs and was trying to get away and was jumping far, he still died horribly, uh, and he was not as fucked up as Hannibal and Will are. So. Uh, I don't want to imagine a plane swooping by at the last second, or it really didn't happen that way, and they were just screwing with us, and Will thinks he jumped off the cliff, but really he didn't. I cannot imagine a possible way that they are alive that I am willing to give the show. Like, I just, I can't conceive of one. And as I say all the time, I would love to be wrong. I would be so happy to be wrong. They come up with something that I just would have never imagined, but that feels cohesive to the show and feels uh, in keeping with its tone and its world and what we've been watching. The show this has been for 39 episodes. Then I will be so happy. I will be, like, eating that humble pie, you know, hand over fist. But with what we were shown... It is absurd to expect the audience to rationally infer that, of course, they escaped. That's ridiculous. I feel strongly about this and many things about this finale. It's going to be a fun podcast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: what you're saying is that you think that this is better as a series finale?
1: (laughs) It could be a different show. After this, but no, this is the series finale, guys. Like I, the notion that anybody wants to see a season four, after this finale, boggles my mind. Because the only way you could have a season four would, would be a prequel season. You could totally do Silence of the Lambs, as a prequel season. Will's not involved or very tangential, but we bring in Clarice. Will says no, I'm not doing it, so we bring in Clarice instead. Like that could totally happen, but the notion of a post you know season four that said after this where will and or hannibal survived like what could that story again what could that possibly be that we haven't already seen will on will and hannibal on the lamb and or hannibal on the lamb uh the characters are now murder husbands which i don't understand why anybody wants to see that show but maybe you know there's all sorts of different fans and good on you if you do but no i just this is a series finale barring prequel this is a series finale
0: all right. Okay. So it's my turn, I guess. And I am in agreement with Kate.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> I really think that this does so much justice to the Will-Hannibal relationship. that, And it's very, very important for me that uh, Molly's absence in this episode contributes to that. Uh, I'm assuming that some people were like, well... Why doesn't she have another scene or anything? I think it's absolutely essential that she's not in this episode for me to buy into that. Um, That even though obviously I had expected something more, like that we were going to get more seasons following this and that maybe Will and or Hannibal will return later, uh, this totally works for me. And that's not to say that I don't want more Hannibal because I absolutely do, and I would do this as our design indefinitely. But I... Reading this as a series finale, I'm thoroughly satisfied. Reading it as a season finale, then, yeah, I have a lot of hesitation in terms of answering some of these questions and how satisfying they could possibly make it for me.
2: Noel, back to you. No, um, no, I see where you're both coming from. It's just my thing with it is just like, I was already kind of checked out by the time that, I basically checked out from the time Hyde single-handedly demolishes an FBI tra- prisoner transport by himself, and so by that point, I was just like, "We've entered into a realm of pure fantasy at this point. So anything is possible." And even though I'm not liking how we got here by any stretch of the imagination, and as I, as Kate can attest, I didn't like this episode overall. And it was just one of those things where I'm just like, all right, if this is how you guys want to do this, okay, that's fine. And I'm just going to, I'm going to deal with this. And I mean, like, I don't know, like, I don't even have a firm reading on the Bedelia scene, to be honest with you. I'm just like, there were three places set per production design. So what do I need to read into that? And how should I read into that? Because my initial reaction was in fact that she did it herself. And, but she did it with, prepared for Will and Hannibal, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but it's just, I'm okay with being not okay with this, basically. And treating it as, well, I'd kind of like to know how they worked that out. (laughs) And whether or not that they can figure out a decent way to work that out is something I have no imagination about even though I think Dancy said that Hannibal has all these skills, so maybe, who knows? And I'm just like, uh, okay, sure, why not? He can move an entire tree by himself over the course of a night and then put it in a parking lot. I think he can maybe survive a cliff fall.
1: You know, I think it's going to be really interesting about our discussion is that, Sean, you enjoyed this finale, you liked this finale, that was a strong end of the, seri- the season.
0: Yeah, I... Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm going to benefit from more time and space, but my initial reaction is that this is the best episode of the season. Oh, no. I really am happy. I'm happy with this episode. So, yeah, it'll be be good.
1: Yeah, because as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the worst episodes of the series. So, for almost exactly the same reason that you just said, Noel, um, where... But I think, so I think we're all coming from different places with it. Yeah. And that's what I think is going to be interesting, because what you're saying about being checked out of it, um, I checked out, I didn't check out, because I never check out with Hannibal, but it was very, I felt like I was watching fan fiction, because... Sure, sure. Yeah, because everything felt close, like somebody who loves the show and is knows all the characters, but it felt like an alt reality to me. And we can, maybe we can get into a little bit of why, because big problem I have with this finale is that it feels incredibly reverse engineered they knew how they wanted to end they knew it needed to be up on the bluff and they're stabbed all the crap and they, they are murder husbands oh look it's so sweet they're killing together guys Um and then it
2: is sweet they got to kill the dragon it's a fairy tale
1: <laughs> but uh the way that so, so this, the, what the writers in, in my opinion not as a TV writer not as you know just watching this as a fan of the show. Uh, the writers needed to go, oh, we've got this great idea for the for how we'll end it. Crap, we haven't done our homework. We can't do this ending. We have to come up with another one. Because when we don't have Molly in this episode, which I know, Sean, you say is crucial for you for it to work. For me, it doesn't work. Because they want us to, like, forget that she existed. Yep. And that's absurd. And Hannibal... This has been presented in interviews with Fuller and in, in other people's reviews. And like I said, I'm definitely, definitely in the minority here. And I'm kind of on the same page with you, Noel, but I think I'm even stronger about it than, than you are. I'm in the minor- minority here, and I'm fully aware of that. It seems like most of the fanables love this finale. However, for me, they did not do anywhere near enough legwork to make it, s- to show that Will, like has been falling back into Hannibal's... W- I, I have not seen that. Instead, I've seen the last two episodes try to really cram down this notion, awkwardly and not very well, that that Han- Hannibal is in love with Will. Oh, and does Will... Do, but do you love him? Significant stare. But again, a moment like that in the, pre- in the second to last episode was not built to in any... It just kind of comes out of nowhere and it's something that the character should have realized years ago within the reality of the show and the episode before that when we have the um, oh did you tell your wife about Hannibal that also felt ham-fisted and ridiculous because the, wh- if they wanted to get to this ending basically what they needed to do was not cast Ni- Nina Arianda because the chemistry that she and Dancy have and and the warmth of the relationship that we saw that was established immediately in their first scene together, let alone the, you know, the phone call and then at the hospital, was an incredibly powerful one. They, they got us to invest in that couple immediately and to really make it feel, no, this isn't just like some fake family that Will's created for himself that he doesn't really feel but he thinks he needs. No, they made sure that this felt very real, that he, this was his wife. His wife, that means something. That means so much that he plans to spend the rest of his life with and a, a son who calls him dad and a home that he has built for himself they 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 made that feel lived in and real and then in this last episode in just this last episode they expect us to believe that Hannibal was right all along and that that Will wasn't really that invested in his family who he's abandoning um, and he's so obsessed with this notion of killing Hannibal that he's not willing to you know let him rot in jail forever he's got to let him escape so that maybe hopefully he can it's, it's absurd and if Will is supposed to be coming uh, unhinged or um, not making wise decisions if he's supposed to be wrong this finale does not show us that this finale says that he's right to do what he's doing to lie to Jack to do all these different things Um, And again, like I said, for me, they didn't do any of the work they needed to do to support that.
2: Right. For a show that's done a significant that has for the previous two seasons given us such great access to Will's deteriorating mental state or confused mental state. There's no progression of this. We don't have access to it this time. And there's frankly not enough time to give us access to it. The splits the split structure of the season proved an interesting little experiment But I think one of the big things is that this second, the Red Dragon half of the season, wanted us to still think of Will as being the Will that went to Italy looking for Hannibal, as opposed to a Will that had moved on, that had lived another life for three years. And there wasn't any progression, as you mentioned, Kate, from where Will is when we find him at the beginning of this season. And, well, sorry, the beginning of this half of the season and where he ends up as soon as Dollar Hyde demolishes the train. I, not the train, but the um convoy. And it's just like you you didn't you didn't put in the legwork, as you said, Kate. They just they didn't put in the work for this to feel like something that th- makes sense. Especially for this show that again has always put in that work of, alright, Will's experiencing violence, and this is how he's trying to deal with it. Or, this is Will being torn between two particular impulses, and this is how he's dealing with it. There's none of that here. There's just, oh, yeah, okay, it is beautiful. Now that you say it, and now that we've done it, it is really, really beautiful, Hannibal. Oh, yeah, let's fall off a cliff together and really satisfy this gothic romance impulse. And it's just like,
1: no. 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 Well, and I would also add on top of that um and then I I I want to hear your thoughts, Sean, because we <laughs> I know there are many listeners screaming at their their podcast uh devices right now that we're idiots. But um what I w- we maybe maybe we are. Maybe we yeah, are. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? We're uh, not, but maybe we are. Yeah. I don't think we are, but you know, who knows. Uh the other thing I would add to that is that it, for me, it's not just that they wanted us to think those three years never happened. They wanted us to think the last scene between Hannibal and Will hap- didn't happen. When when we see Will and ha- Hannibal have that fantastic conversation where Will says, I don't have your appetite, we understand, we, we see Will fully verbalize, for the first time what he see what he finally understands to be the difference between himself and Hannibal what he has gone through this whole massive journey of the entire first half of the season figuring out that as much as he would love to go off and have this this life with him to be able to be a person that could do that and that could revel in that life with Hannibal, he under he understands that he can't, and so he's he has accepted that and has moved on. It was a beautiful scene, very well played, very well performed, well written, uh, scoring everything, lighting, costuming. It was an exceptional scene, and this finale asks us to think he's lying.
2: Uh, right, meets back on the menu, Bedelia. Ha
1: <laughs> ha! Like that's ridiculous. And again, and if they wanted to get, I have no problem with them having this as their destination sure but they needed to not expect us to just go for it in the last episode of the season or should we have sean yeah why are we wrong why are we crazy people i uh
0: i've just had to take so many sips of whiskey to stop myself from interrupting (laughs) (laughs) I, i think i might be drunk already um
2: Oh, I'm, I'm like halfway there, I'm, and I have work tomorrow, and I wake up at 6, so you're good.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't worry, I'll be sipping away, I'm sure. Go for it.
0: All right. Um, so, to address the Molly thing in particular... Oh, my God, okay. Uh, so, uh, part of my response is going to have to do with the notion of uh, this season especially, trying to convince us that... Um, In addition to the other various styles that Hannibal the series uses, that the fairy tale structure is important to it, and part of the fairy tale idea is that there is a notion of true love. Uh, Whether or not people agree with that concept in general in their own lives, totally fine. Um, But in the fairy tale context, that idea exists, and it's what a lot of stories are based on. And so using that as a premise for Will's and Hannibal's relationship, um, I would say that that's true love in brian fuller's series um with that the reason why i think molly's absence is really important to me and i almost wish i do wish actually that, that will hadn't even said her name when he came to visit uh hannibal in his cell is because and it's also the chemistry that you mentioned kate that i think that is really important to my reading of it too if the chemistry hadn't been as convincing as it was, then maybe I would have different opinions about this. But the reason why I feel that that perfect chemistry was so important is because that this gives Will, like, the absolute best alternative that he could possibly have, and it's still not enough. And that's to to hammer the, the point home that you can't overpower that true love, and even three years of absence, even having the perfect mate. Um, who you achieve happiness with, that finally and ultimately falling back into your former true love's uh, orbits, that that is enough to overpower. And I think the absence of Molly in this um, shows what's going on in Will's head psychologically. I, I'm really hesitant to say that any episode of Hannibal is through a specific character's perspective. But if you just, you know... Humor me me in considering that this is through Will's perspective. By not having Molly on screen, that's him subconsciously pushing her out. Otherwise, he does feel that guilt and can't even allow himself to do what he does at the end of the episode. So I don't think it's a matter of him um, not feeling those things legitimately for Molly. I absolutely think that he does. And if he allows himself to put that onto the conscious level then that's going to fuck up with his eventual decisions at the end of this episode, and he might not be able to follow through with it, um, which is one of the points that I wanted to make as a plane flies overhead. Um,
2: to save Will and Hannibal.
0: <laughs> um, okay. What else did I want to say about that? Uh, what, what were some of the other dissatisfactions that you had about this?
2: Not nearly enough legwork in setting this up.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, and i that's a legitimate question, I think. Um, But for me, I never felt like there wasn't enough just because... Oh, I remember something else I was going to say. I'll come back to that. Uh, Because all of the conversations that Will has had with various characters in which he's tried to um, get back to the person that he was before Hannibal they've all felt like a little forced or false, uh, which I think would support whatever my idea or my theory is of that true love thing, is that he tries actively to believe that he's something that he's not, um, but he is that thing, which is a changed Will. In the same way that Dollarhead changes people, Hannibal changed Will. Uh, The other aspect that I just remembered was we have to remember that Will has pure empathy, and that's considered a disorder in this uh, in this series. And I think in relation to Molly, another thing that pure empathy does is that it also isolates the person eventually and completely. So even though he can have a really great relationship with somebody, um, part of the the motive for that, I don't know if it's motive, I don't know if that's the right word, but part of that has to do with living that life for that person and not necessarily for himself. I think Hannibal has been the only exception to that is because they shared such similar characteristics that Will is only not alone when he's with Hannibal. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's my initial response to the conversation that you just had.
1: What, What I immediately key into... in in the difference between your take on this finale and mine. Um, and I think it's just going to be something that we are not going to be able to come to, um, to be on the same page about is I have never believed and do not believe currently that will and Hannibal are similar. I, I don't think they are, they have all of this in common I don't think that they are similar. I don't think that they are each other's true love. Uh, and so therefore this ending doesn't play to me and instead feels like a, a ploy to reach out to the shippers out there. Um, I do not see uh, them as as fairy tale the fairy tale true love because Will has never been like when we see Will with Molly. That's Will again. That's who Will is. When we see him with Hannibal when he's, you know, in season one, when his brain is on fire or in season two, uh, when he is when he's released and going undercover to try to to lure Hannibal to his doom. That's not Will and so at the end here the Will that we see at the end is not Will either this is this is who Will was pretending to be in season 2 and for me they flipped this in the finale they flipped this when, in the course of a single off-screen moment when when Will goes and is uh attacked well i he's very bitchy and um I didn't buy at all his his like hand to like his whole last scene with Hannibal when Hannibal was in jail felt out of character to me but certainly when he meets with Dollarhide and then the next time we see him he's like all dressed in black and is very ominous in his posturing like that is where Bizarro will most definitely was swapped in as far as I'm concerned cuz um I do not think that they are very similar. I think that they are intriguing to each other because they are unique, but I do not think they are each other's true love in in any way at all. And I think that's the inherent disconnect in our interpretations of the finale. Whereas I actually,
2: I'm in agreement with Sean in the fact that I see them as a relationship, as a romantic pairing. And not necessarily, but for me, like, the culmination of their relationship within this context just doesn't work for me with all the other stuff that had been established beforehand. And I've always, I I do think that Sean's point about the empathy is an important one. And it's one that I've considered when I was like trying to work how I, I felt about this. And I had a friend point out to me that a large part of why Will is willing to do what he does by abandoning Molly, is the fact that he can't not see her as transformed any longer, that she's been ruined, that she's been tainted, for want of a better word. And um, he can't unsee that idea any longer, and it just would ruin his relationship with her. And I can understand that as a concept and an idea, but I think a lot of this just, again, comes back to the idea that this isn't as firmly established as a motivation for this finale as it would be if there had been more time to develop all of this. If there had been time to develop all of this, I'd probably be siding with Sean right now. But without that time to see Will's decision, basically, and his emotional journey to come from point A to point Z, because it's not even a point A to point B, it's point A to point Z, there's just not enough there for me to get behind that, because their entire this entire show has been this weird will they, won't they type of thing with Hannibal and Will for me. And whether or not they have something in common, I think it's more so that these are two people who just understand and accept one another in certain ways and that there's something really attractive about that. And I think that's also where, why Hannibal encouraged Francis to go after Molly because he recognized that Molly through how his interactions with will had that molly somehow accepted will for who he was and that's why he needed dollar high to attack molly if not kill her outright and i think that's where that was coming from but again there's just not enough there for me to totally like accept that it's it's too one too many shortcuts basically
1: the thing i would add to what you're saying Noel, is that This Will being changed, Will no longer uh, being this other version of himself, and Sean, you mentioned this earlier, that Hannibal had changed Will. Um, I can absolutely accept that, but then I don't know why we're treating this as if it's a victory, or a happy thing, or a good thing, or a romantic thing, because that means that the character I've been watching, the character I've been following for the entire series is gone, and that's a tragedy. That's not romantic. That's not sweeping. That's not, oh, they finally, those two crazy kids, they worked it out. That's one character has subsumed and eaten the other. Um, and that does not feel like a Hanagram moment. <laughs> at least it shouldn't. doesn't seem like it should be held up in that way.
0: I totally agree. And I do think of it as a tragedy. And it's not just them. It's Jack and Alana. I look at all these characters who we've had relationships with over three seasons, and everybody changed so significantly and they've all moved away from my traditional notion of protagonist that the tragic element of it is part of what gives the whole ending poignancy for me and you're right i think i don't know if this is correct or not but i think something that led me to my stance on all this and perhaps could for somebody else is to, I guess, consider, acknowledge, and accept the fact that that was Will's arc, is that he stopped being that traditional protagonist, along with other characters, of course, and that the character that we thought we were watching eventually shifted into somebody else, and... I think if you listen back on the This Is Our Design podcasts, I was really holding on to the notion that Will was still that person for a while. I remember saying that uh, at some point this season. And I don't know what it was, but something clicked with me, and I, and I just realized, wait a second, he's not. And it does fit that tragic element, and it makes this a very Hamlet-like ending.
1: When do you think feel like he started becoming other than himself? Because to me, he still feels like himself in the episode. He still feels like himself when he's talking with Chilton, um, burned up Chilton.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that there are parts of his old self that come through in that scene that he has with Reba in this episode where he is with the victim, as he has been with previous victims in the past, most notably Abigail. And says, look, I'd like to come back and visit you that's very much the kind of will that we had in the first season.
1: That's a will who adopts strays.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: That's in my notes, like in all all caps and underline, this is will.
0: And yet the, the final moments of that scene, when Reba talks about how she, the blind draw these kinds of people with monsters on their backs, uh, will acknowledges that it's not just the blind. And I think in, in that moment, in, Dancy's facial expression, I see that realization, like, this is me going through the motions of a previous version of myself, but I don't know if I actually feel this at my core. To answer your question, I'm not sure. I feel like it probably happened in The Great Red Dragon, because I really buy into the the breakup scene in Digestivo uh, at Will's place in Wolf Trap, and maybe it was just finally coming back to Hannibal after years and experiencing those feelings again and realizing that the things that he has with Molly, while great, aren't the things that he could have with Hannibal, I think maybe that's when I probably should have started to think about it and I didn't really give it enough consideration until probably this finale, which admittedly is kind of too late to be thinking of that and supports what you're both saying about not doing enough legwork. But I wonder if going back and watching these last six episodes, if I would feel differently about that. Fair enough. Noel, you're quiet. Say something.
2: <laughs> no, I, I, I was taking a long sip of my wine because I'm probably not going to have any more. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think I'm I'm kind of with both of you in the sense that, well, I'll correct. I'm more so convinced that Will is sort of kind of going through the motions with Reba there a little bit. Just because the idea of that it's, this is Will to me, is a little bit different. Because I'm not entirely convinced that Will of, like, the Will that we met at the beginning would have been someone who made eye contact with the victim. Or talked to the victim. And I think also it's just there's this, again, this weird kind of moral sense. And this goes back to Sean's point about where these people are as protagonists at this point. But Will doesn't make con- eye contact with Chilton when he sees Chilton's, well, whatever, ch- how what Chilton looks like after the fire. And I think that there's just this sense that that wasn't an empathy response. I think that was a guilt response. But again, there's just this sense that it's not developed enough for me to make it all line up in a weird... And I hate wanting it to line up in a neat way, especially considering that the first half of the season is very much about things not lining up in neat ways. But I needed this as a conclusion to either the season or the series to really kind of line up enough that this show could continue provided it was actually going to, because they filmed this before they were canceled. It had wrapped and everything. So this is what they were going to go out on. And this is how they were going to come back from in season four. And we just have to go, okay, all right, let's, how exactly and what is that going to look like?
1: With uh, one of the responses I've been seeing, again, from the multitude of people who are, Fully on board with this episode, um, is this notion, like you're saying, of the guilt in Will, uh, in Will, that scene with Chilton, uh, indicating that he did intend, uh, to some extent, what happened to Chilton, like he didn't oh. care or was curious or whatever. And, and I'm, I don't have, you know, I, I have no problem accepting that, that this was some part of him, uh, subconsciously did that, you know, did the hand on the back thing knowing that what could happen um, and was curious. I, I
2: think that that was in fact, I don't I don't necessarily think he was curious, but I think that they didn't plan, I think Hannibal, I, Hannibal, I think Will didn't plan correctly in that sense. And mm-hmm. I think that they fully intended Chilton to be the target there. They just didn't plan f- well enough to adjust for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What I'm, but what I've been seeing is that then that he's like, that is a realization on his part that, no, he really is like Hannibal. And then that pushes him closer to Hannibal. Whereas to me, the notion that that is, well, then, of course, I, you know, I, I slipped a little bit off the wagon. Uh, I better not run back to my sponsor, but drink this entire bottle of whiskey um, of of Hannibal's delicious, probably people flavored whiskey um can you make whiskey out of people sean
2: is that is that a thing
1: he made beer out of people that's true that's yeah. true
0: i do it i do it all the time so
1: i figured nice okay extra after note, uh yeah to the palate but um to me this notion that he steps a toe towards that manipulative you know th- that fear he has of becoming like hannibal that he expresses earlier in the season and then in the course of an episode then goes, well, screw it. Let's just be Hannibal then. <laughs> Let's go off and be murder husbands together. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll try to kill him, but most of me wants to be murder husbands because now I think killing is beautiful. Um, that, again, that felt like a betrayal of the character and also of who he had become in his three years yeah. uh, in between. So, so for me, I see that guilt and I see him edging towards Hannibal with that, motion, with that you know event. And I, I absolutely am on board with that interpretation. It's where this finale pushes it and how quickly, and maybe that gets back to Noel, as you were saying, uh, feeling like they needed more episodes um, to tell this story the way that they wanted to. But um, yeah. I just thought, I just figured I'd chime in. Cause again, like I said, I think we all have slightly different takes or massively different between John and myself <laughs> on this episode.
0: I no, I think that 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 part of it is absolutely right about uh, perhaps more episodes. I think from my perspective, um, maybe even just one more scene. The last scene that we got with, with Will and Molly was in the hospital, and that's a very difficult situation because Molly's just been attacked and there are a lot of emotions in terms of that. Uh, if there had been a scene with the two of them maybe a few days after Molly had gotten out of the hospital uh, in which you know they have a seemingly normal conversation, but then you can kind of see behind Will's eyes that uh, this doesn't feel like it did before just that inquisitive look that will sometimes gives that that would have gone. They would have given more
1: or even just cut to their talking and cut to Molly with the glass over her eyes, the mirror over her eyes like they did with Alana. Um, was was an episode or two ago that would really hit home. This fact that he can't even have a conversation with her without seeing her dead.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So should we shift the discussion a little bit?
1: Can we talk about some of the things that I liked?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Because I have more things I didn't like, but I think we should change it up a little bit.
0: (laughs) Before we get into that, uh, as I mentioned, some um, comments from previous... This is our design guests. I just want to read out what Sarah Sarah Bunting wrote into us, which was Hannibal, the show that single-handedly justified my liberal arts education (laughs) by forcing me to reach for, then defend... Cultural references from the Aeneid to Zelig every week. I'm pleased to report that my 500 level English seminar bullshitting skills remain undiminished by time and staring, wrapped at the uh, Mickle cheekbones. That's Mickle from Mickelson. Mickle cheekbones. That's one word. Brian Fuller, I'm sorry I called Wonderfalls a Twee NATO. This is our design team. Thanks for having me on and congratulations on a fantastic podcast. So thank you. Uh, once again, to Sarah.
1: That's another quality TV podcast as well, Sarah's. Extra hot, great. Y'all should go check it out. It's, it's good times. Thank you, Sarah. Uh,
0: perfect, yeah. And so the, definitely, let's talk about some of the positive things. Uh, I mean, like I've, I've been suggesting that it's been positive, but uh, perhaps I feel like we, we can all agree that at least uh, stylistically and technically that that final sequence was really stunning. Can we talk about that?
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah it def- definitely. No. Is. No, it looked really great. And I mean, I think that it it no, it looked really really good. Um Love Crime is amazing. Um easily the best song of the year. No matter what else comes out on the radio or anything. Love Crime. Number 1 Billboard top. Uh, I guess do we still use Billboard for anything? This is how out of touch with the music I am. Uh, um No, so no. Um I think it looks really good. I think, again, it's a really good last bit from Richard Armitage, who's done just fantastic work this entire half of the season. And I don't think he disappoints, again, having to do the more physical stuff again. And I, it just it looks really good. I loved the bits with the wings and him bleeding out from the blood. And I really just liked Hannibal's entire cabin. It was just great. And I loved the idea that he has a cabin that is steadily being destroyed by time, essentially, which is one of his big obsessions with teacups coming together and time coming back together and basically going and flowing in reverse. And he has a cabin that's on a a bluff that's steadily eroding more and more. And I just love that idea. And, yeah, no, so it's it looks really, really great, and I think it's a really beautiful sequence in and of itself as an isolated thing.
0: You, you mentioned the the wings. I just wanted to point to that quickly in particular because at various points I feel like the, the actual visualization of the dragon imagery has been hit and miss. I feel like the first time that we got the tail that that was kind of corny. But in this final sequence, like...
2: The tail has always been kind of corny for me, but the wings have, I think, always looked really good.
0: In this in particular, I thought, yeah, like especially in that final one where he falls down and then he falls down dead, that that would be beautiful and perfect. So I thought that that was great use of the imagery there.
1: Yeah, the the imagery for the dragon in this last episode is very strong. Um, Switching from... Uh, you may you guys managed to stumble upon like one of my other main problems <laughs> in this finale. Yay! So congratulations. Um Team Sassy Science is great, guys. There's lots of things I like about this finale. But um Okay, so I that last sequence, like like you guys have said, I absolutely agree. It's beautiful. The the way it's filmed, like it's that's what, why for me it felt like such an uncanny valley of this looks wonderful and amazing and the acting is spectacular and the sound design and the everything is great. I just like the characters feel like they've been replaced by different you know, that's why it was so weird for me to watch it because everything else is so wonderful. Um I, I also really liked how when we cut to Dollar Hyde burning the dragon and burning yeah. the house. Uh We get his wings, but they're the film. Because what this uh, finale makes clear, and in a beautiful visualization right there, uh, so well done, uh, Michael Reimer, the fabulous director of this episode, um, is that Dollar Hyde has been in control of the dragon for at least a solid episode and a half, if not more but they didn't tell us that because they wanted it to be a surprise when he faked his death. Um, so when, what that tells us is that Dollar Hyde has been, he's not, it's not that he's the dragon. His real form is the the film is Dollar Hyde. And so then if you think back, the, at least what I connect to that is that when he's ripping into his flesh and tearing at the dragon in the previous episode, that's when he gained control over the dragon and could unleash him and then rein him back in at his will, which is why he 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 has fun with Chilton and lets the dragon play, but then pulls him back in and when Reba shows up, and then later uh he pretends to be the dragon, but he isn't the dragon at all with Reba, and so like so, so while I thought it was so beautifully executed and shown that felt like another cheat. <laughs> and that felt so when, if you, if you take the dollar hide character, you take the dragon, um, and you keep all the strengths of the dragon, the power, the fear, the, uh, the imagery, all of that great stuff. And you take away his weaknesses, his, his, uh, compulsion, the struggle between dollar Hyde and the dragon, um, the, you know, the the call of the moon as compared to just being able to pull that stuff out whenever he wants. He no longer is an interesting character. He's an invincible boogeyman who can just do anything, show up at any time, kill, uh, even though he shouldn't know about that convoy. But because that was like super on the down low. And then later... Uh, they were going to leak where Hannibal was. Uh, So he shouldn't know about that convoy, but he does because the plot needs him to. And then he shouldn't know where Hannibal's house is because he heads off before them, but he does uh, because the plot needs him to. And you could argue that they found a way to tell him that information because they wanted him to come. Um, But there's too much of that in this episode. So uh, that last sequence, again, it really works. It really does work. And there's so much that works. But I needed to know why, if if Dollarhide can control the dragon now, like we see him be able to do when he's killing all these cops, he's not biting anybody because that's not the dragon killing those people. That's Dollarhide killing those people. Uh, so if he can control the dragon and do whatever he wants with it, unleash the dragon at the, the a certain point in the fight scene, but not immediately. Then why can't he be with Reba? All
0: right, I in terms of two of the details. Um... The convoy, I assume, was that he...
2: Will filled him in.
0: Right, yeah.
2: But, yeah, no, it should have been explained, but yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in terms of the bluff, I feel like maybe... That that was one that maybe needed explanation, but I just assumed that his tracking was good enough to where he could do that. But you're right about there being a distinction between hide killing and the dragon killing. Um... But I... So wait, what was the, the issue then with uh, the dragon coming out in this final sequence? Or was there? Am I mishearing? No, I
1: don't I don't have a problem with the dragon coming out in the final sequence. I thought that worked really well. My problem is with with the reveal, holding the reveal for this episode that basically, like, when he's with Chilton, he's in control, Dollarhide's in control the entire time. But it's sh- filmed and shot such that we're supposed to think the dragon's in control, and they do the I, you owe me all, which is such a wonderful moment, it does, it only makes sense, it only has the weight and power it should have if that is the dragon in that moment. If, if Dollar Hyde is play-acting there the way that he is at the end of the episode, which in a way that feels exactly the same, but is apparently different because that's not the dragon, because the dragon would have attacked her, that's Dollar Hyde pretending to be the dragon. Like, there's too many, you have to do too much mental gymnastics to figure out when he was Dollarhide when he was the dragon when he was Dollar dollarhide pretending to be the dragon and the re- it, the only reason i can come up with why with for why it's this complicated is that they were really married to the us thinking that everything with reba was genuine so that we would uh be surprised when he was alive and i think again that's it's great it works re- it's really effective but then you don't get to have the other stuff You get one or the other. You don't get both, as far as, you know, for me. So I love the last sequence, but when you're talking about the last scene of seeing Dollar Hyde with the film instead, uh, which was such a great moment, that kind of, for me, that connects back to one of my other main problems. I promise, listeners, there's so much that I like about this finale. Just not a lot of the core things. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, for me, it's interesting in, like, a lot of those gaps that you're seeing with Dollarhide and with his actions here is make perfect sense to me but I was also operating on I've read Red Dragon before and I'm just I was going through oh okay so we're going to do the end of Red Dragon but in a way that fits into Hannibal's version of things instead of having Will and Molly fight off the dragon we have Hannibal and Will fight off the dragon instead and i saw them like wanting to do that version and i just went oh okay so we're we're still scrambling thomas harris here and i was kind of grooving on that idea that concept of them taking again a little bit of the thomas harris material and remixing it and i was i was i i was responding to that more than i was responding to anything else in terms of that kind of the necessary narrative logic i wasn't necessarily too concerned with because in my brain i was kind of filling in those gaps a little bit just from having book knowledge which isn't fair to the show and isn't fair as a critic to do that sort of thing but i was doing it anyway just because i'm familiar with that material and going oh this is what they're doing i see why they're doing this and i'm willing to kind of excuse an occasional narrative leap because they're doing this, which isn't a good idea, but I was doing it anyway. And I think that's kind of why I'm not having that same frustration, I think is why I'm just like, no, okay. I see why they're doing this and what they're wanting to get out of it. And I'm willing to roll with that particular aspect of it.
1: Why did we spend so long with figuring out why was it made such a big deal of Will figuring out the difference that the dragon is changing them rather than killing them, if that was never going to become important or significant in the rest of the show, and if when we actually have the big climax, Mm. it's not the dragon really that they're fighting anyways, it's Dollarhide who's channeling the dragon. What's the point of spending all that time?
2: No, this gets back to one of my larger issues with Dollarhide in general, which is One of the things I was really excited about with Red Dragon, with Hannibal doing Red Dragon, was I was just like, yes, finally, Francis Dollarhyde is going to be given his due as a character. Because previous adaptations of the Red Dragon story haven't really given Hyde his due. There haven't been explanation of his motivations or anything like that. And this series just, again, fell into the same trap that not necessarily manhunter fell into because manhunter's dollar hide is completely different from the novels dollar hide but they fell into the same trap as the red dragon film adaptation did which is where for lack for one of a better word lip service is paid to the idea of why dollar hide would turn to the dragon and end up harnessing the dragon but we don't get enough of that for it to make sense and why he would want that power and all of that. And so I think a lot of where your confusion is is just the fact that it's not explained. And it's frustrating that it's not explained. And I uh, it was just something that I had previously accepted and come to terms with last week, knowing that we weren't just going to have enough time to go, oh, Dollar Hyde had lots of problems with his... With his family life and a lot of problems with his family life. We're not going to get any of that. Okay. Well, all right. I'll just roll with this. And I think that was just, for me, something that I had internalized and accepted to streamline my viewing experience in a way.
1: And I don't I don't need to get the backstory for Dollar Hide. I don't feel like I was lacking a backstory for Dollar Hide at all. I mean, I... I have a, a little vague sense of it from talking about it you know on, on the podcast and with uh-huh. the fanables i don't feel like i was missing that at all um and i this might point back to the what you were saying earlier noel about them needing more episodes i don't know about that but for me right. it hap- that change that shift of dollar high getting control over the dragon happened off screen and that's yeah no that needs i think to it does not happen, happen off screen for me
2: yeah no i'd agree with that and i think I think it happens after whatever happens with Chilton, because I don't think Dollar Heights play acting in that sense. I think that's the dragon in full control. The only time we get to see the dragon in full control on this show is right there and then.
1: Then how does he not, the dragon not take Reba? Because the dragon wants Reba.
2: I, I can't answer that question based with this show <laughs> okay. and how they've depicted it. I can't answer that question. Sean? There's not enough for me.
0: I I am not. 100% convinced that even at the end here, Dollarhide has complete control over the dragon. Um, and again, like what you're saying, uh, there we would benefit from more explanation. I think that whole relationship between Francis Dollarhide and the Great Red Dragon uh, is a bit murky. But it, in the same way that I feel like some of the dialogue that Will is saying feels insincere, and that he also feels that it is insincere. I also get that insincerity when Dollarhide is trying to convince Will that he is uh, stronger than the Great Red Dragon. That's I think that's all I can contribute to that.
1: Fair enough. So what else did you like? What did, <laughs> what did you did like? I, like? I yeah. liked so much.
0: <laughs> wait, wait. Before you answer that question, you, you talked about... You know, you mentioned all the things that you did, like technically about uh, this this last sequence, but I you curiously did not comment on love crime. Please tell me that you liked love crime.
1: I I liked elements of love crime. Uh, I thought it worked for using some, a, a song like this at the end because it really was the capper of this is no longer the show you've been watching. And that's highlighted by the fact that this is going to be your last song instead of being a show that, you know, cares about victims and doesn't randomly shoot people and then not explore who those people were, doesn't set up nameless victims to be killed to make a character look cool, um, which is a thing that happens all over this finale, uh, specifically with Dollar Hyde, and it happened in the last episode too. When the show abandoned that core core tenant in this last episode uh, and we got to the end and they went with what they were specifically, you know, aiming for a bond song. I was like, well, that feels about right. <laughs> so
2: it's a bond song.
1: Oh, that's what it is. Thank you. Yeah. And so like, I haven't been watching, I've been very actively not watching bond for three seasons. <laughs> so when it's going to become a bond movie at the end, it's very fitting. Um, and I actually thought it was cool. It worked very well with the sequence. Um, the issues I had with it were the lyrics um I'm sorry, love crime is painfully on the nose- like it it hurt my ears. it was so on the nose and when like the other lyric that that particularly stood out was like the pained um uh what did you say metaphysically uh I was like, really do we need to underline that this is a show that cares about metaphysics like i basically until the the when the lyrics came in and they were not as distinct like the build of the lyrics i thought worked really well when the lyric came in they were not as distinct um so that the vocal element was just like another instrument rather than having a specific dialogue you know that it was contributing to the scene um that worked for me but it was just the lyrics were too on the nose uh so so in those couple moments where the lyrics are very clear and distinct uh i was kind of groaning a little bit uh but a well-written song aside from like the lyrics, like well-performed. Like I, there's K, a lot I like K, about the song. You, did but... you
2: text Brian Reitzel and go, what the fuck, man?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I did not. I do not have that, that contact information, but I did not reach out to Reitzel and go, <laughs> dude, WTF, how much does it select that they like strap? He made you write a pop song, but, but he's got a rock background. So I'm sure he loves that, you know, loves the piece and is very happy with it. I know he, he busts his ass for the show. So I'm sure everything in there is very intentional. Um, by all involved but yeah so that was just and again for me it was part of what made this finale I mean it worked in the moment absolutely it worked in the moment but um, I don't really need the gothic romantic swan song off the cliff where they've just after they've just been happy murder husbands to, to go with over the credits love crime and then we see Bedelia and it's I will survive it's like come on guys like a little not a lot more subtle but a little more subtle at least for me.
0: Oh, I had intended to interrogate something that would make you go with something positive, but it just reversed on me completely. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. That's why I asked an open-ended question of what did she like, as opposed to,
1: did you like this? <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk about all the things I did like a little bit, just quickly?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So, I love <laughs> Team Sassy Science. I was so glad that they got another scene. And they, the, the, yeah. they you know Scott Thompson got to talk this time They both got to be in it <laughs> I thought it was such a needed injection of comedy I loved, loved, loved What we got with Alana I loved, loved, loved what we got with Bedelia And I triple loved what we got With Reba She was a badass and amazing Retina Wesley's been really great this half season um, And now
2: she'll be wasted on Arrow This season, aren't you excited?
1: Hey, you know what? I the casting on Arrow always makes me happy. Hopefully, they'll use her. When they've (laughs) used them in the past, it's been good. So fingers crossed. Uh, But I, you know, with Bedelia, like we find, like Will's like, so I'm gonna let our murder husband out. She like immediately reaches for the booze and she stops all her slow talking. I loved it. (laughs) We're like, oh, that's what she's really like. Awesome. I love that scene. Uh, Alana and Margot strutting their way. To the, uh, that was a, that was a fabulous snap is what that was. this was snaps for fabulous. Uh, to the helicopter with their son, um, while being nervous and everything, yes. But I loved that they got to walk off into the sunset, the, the highly guarded, protected sunset <laughs> together. Um, I, I would have been nice to get anything with Jack. We barely got Jack here. That's, you know, it's, I don't like that the show turned him into a, a fool in the end, but, um, oh, well. Uh, I, I really liked the scene we got with Chilton. Uh, there was so much that I did like. They used Debbie uh, C again. They used Goldberg variations again. There's so much that I did like about this finale. It's just not the character moves that happen off screen, and not the we don't care about bystanders, so we'll just shoot them. And, like, there's a lot of stuff I didn't, but there is a lot of things that I did like.
2: Sean, since you, you were really positive about the episode, was there anything you didn't like about the episode? Just for a flip side. Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Good question. Um,
1: hey, I got, I got a good question from Sean. All right. I don't think I've gotten a good question from Sean. Well done.
2: Yeah. Skype fist pump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, there's... I don't know if this falls into the I didn't like this category, but it's definitely something that relates to it, at least tangentially. You mentioned Jack, Kate, and also Alana. I said earlier um, that all of our main characters who have been here since the beginning have kind of moved from protagonist into murky territory. Uh, Absolutely, that's the case with Jack and Alana, I think that the final scene that we have between those two and Will, in which they're all having a drink talking about what the plan is, that that's, again, going through the motions for the sake of it, because they all have uh, a similar end goal here. But those characters could not be further from one another, and if there needed to be more explanation of something, and you both said this in relation to what happens off-screen for our key characters in this episode, who are Dollar Hyde, Will, and Hannibal, uh, I would have liked more, and I'm finally saying this, I would have liked more with Alana, and then with Jack as well. I I was in the camp originally where I was never dissatisfied with Alana's character. Um, I felt like in season one, and also in season two, that decisions and motivations were if not defined and clear, um, then didn't need to be defined and clear just because they weren't using her as a central character for a lot of that. But now that she transitioned into this different Alana Bloom, uh, a version that admittedly I like and that I think works well with a lot of the characters on the screen, I it just feels like both her and Jack have come so far. And maybe this is more aimed at Jack especially, that... That I, I wanted more of an explanation as to why he became so callous and detached from everything. And you called him a fool in this episode. I think that's fair because it's so obvious how false will is being in their conversation. Where will's like, yeah, we should bait Hannibal because there's nothing more than you know subsuming with the dragon uh, that the dollar high would want, and it admittedly, like, we, we talked, I don't know which podcast it was, but the, the death of Bella would certainly speak to this a little bit, that um, without her, he's a different character, and that's fair enough, absolutely, but I always liked how um, and maybe this is me holding on to things that I shouldn't hold on to, I always liked how Jack was both protagonist and at- antagonist to Will, and now at the end of it, it just feels like he's so far away from that lovable but difficult character to where now he's just sidelined and also kind of annoying that's what i would say
1: why did will lie he didn't need to lie why did he lie like for like narratively from a writing perspective other than to make will look shifty like why what's the character motivation to lie to jack there
0: at this point it's a good question just because any any you know, subverting law that needs to be done. Jack's been through the motions there, so it doesn't feel like Will would need to have to lie to justify any of that. So I think that's a legitimate question. And it relates to not flaws with Will's character, but with Jack's character.
1: Sorry, no go
2: ahead. Well no, I'll 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 do two parts. I'll do one to answer your question, Kate, real quick, which is I think the reason a lie is goes Again, back to the idea of this half of the season wanting us to think that a time skip hadn't happened in the sense that Will still doesn't know if he wants to kill Hannibal or not. And I think that's the reason to lie, is that Will still wants that last little bit of control. Because, again, who, why is he reaching for a gun when Dollar Hyde is filming Hannibal? What is, what's he going to do with that gun? And that sort of thing and so the question becomes an issue of agency and that sort of thing and we can discuss that if you want but the other thing i was going to discuss was sean's sean's talking about jack to me has always been jack has always just been kind of more of a passive antagonist than rather just a straight-up protagonist or even that kind of polite division between antagonist and protagonist for, for for me and so this idea of Again, like lots of gaps to fill in where it's just like, well, why did Jack go to, back to the FBI? And this idea of why Jack, again, going back to Will is just Jack being antagonist again to, for, to me. And so I was just very much in that vein of, well, Jack's been putting Will back onto the line again, essentially letting that cork bob in, against the dock. And so I don't think Will, in that sense, has any qualms about lying to Jack either. It's just like, "Eh, you made me do this all again, and now you've put me in a position where I'm thinking about this again. And that sort of a thing. And I think that's where I was coming from with it. And yes, Jack very much looks the fool, I think. But at the same time, this is just Jack's typical M.O., and after three years of... Looking for a bit of redemption, he has just finally fallen back into his same old patterns. At least that's what we can glean from the episodes that we got.
0: There were episodes in season one where Jack was the main character, and it was legitimate.
1: Those are nice. Yeah, but no, he's, yeah. And again, I just think this, if they'd had like two, instead of one season, they split into seven and six, uh, if they had had, like, two eight-episode seasons, or, like, a eight and a ten, I think they could have done real justice. We could have, you know, seen Margot and Alana have a relationship form rather than the kaleidoscopic colitis- sex, colitis- sex scene just cuz, and then accept that they're in a relationship, don't ask questions. Uh, or we could have—this is maybe getting ahead of myself here to something that's going to come a little later— you know, yeah. gotten a first name for Potsy's wife <laughs> or we could have any number. Of, and we certainly could have seen like gotten a sense of where Jack was after three years and why and Alana and these other characters rather than having to fill in so many gaps. And we could have gotten a little bit more transition with dollar hide So it, it goes back to them saying, realizing or Fuller and company realizing, well, so basically we can tell from what NBC is saying to us that this is going to be the last season on NBC. So we only have thirteen episodes, so let's make sure that we try to do both of the next two seasons that we want to do and uh let's let's make it work we've got let's make it work time people and we've got we'll do seven in Italy and we'll do six with red dragon and hopefully that'll be enough time and maybe it should have been the other way around that is uh certainly that would have been interesting to see them do. I still think they needed yeah. another episode in the first half of the season, but I wouldn't have wanted to take it from red dragon so yeah sean any thoughts on this
0: about the division of the seasons
1: uh, any of this stuff i mean
2: i'm ready to Anything. go to or if you want to go here. on to something else yeah, yeah. if you want to do something else
0: yeah i mean let's see how how far are we gone? about hour 20 okay maybe yeah maybe it's time to move on to our recurring segments for the podcast uh of course beginning with kate's classical corner kate uh, I guess you've already talked about Love Crime a little bit, but what can you tell us about the scoring and the soundtrack in The Wrath of the Lamb?
1: Well, there are two classical pieces that are featured, and I'm sure you both caught them. Uh we had the WC La fille uh Delin, de the, the the woman or the maid with the flaxen hair, which we had previously gotten when we had Reba sitting with Hannibal on the couch as he watched the video of Molly. Um, that comes back here in an altered form uh, as Reba is is leaving the burning house in a spectacular sequence, by the way, for, in this episode. Very well executed, gripping, uh, intense se- sequence. One of the things I liked. <laughs> um, uh, then we also had the return of the Goldberg Variations uh, when Hannibal and Will are pouring wine and everything before the fight breaks out we get the goldberg variations back again in, in an altered form or a a less familiar form i guess i'll say um, and uh, that felt very fitting that's how we were introduced to hannibal in the pilot um, that is where Bloodfest came from uh, memorably used three times throughout the series uh, so it's nice that they had even if, if they knew they weren't gonna end with that. So you know, and they couldn't really. After Mizumoto and after Dolce and DJ they, they they couldn't use Bloodfest again. So I I'm glad they they got it in there somehow though. I've already talked about love crime. Don't have anything new to say about that. Uh I like I said, I really liked the scoring for Reba and Dollar Hyde at the beginning. Um it didn't feel didactic, but it was very effective and very affecting. Um I liked the kind of um fairy tale kind of tinkling percussion sound when Reba is at the hospital with Will. I thought it was interesting that when we had Hannibal and Will in the mind palace with Hannibal wearing a fantastic, one of the best Hannibal suits yeah. of the entire no, series. No, I'm so
2: glad you agreed with me. Cause I, I actually had in my notes that this was like one of his best suits.
1: Yeah. It's one of them. It's great. I, I couldn't find space to talk about it in my review. Um, So I had to make sure I mentioned it here because it was spectacular. Uh, I thought it was interesting that that we don't get organ there, at least not heavy in the mix. We get winds. Instead, yeah. and that that is very interesting, considering where this this episode ends up going, and that organ was so tied to the chapel, Norman Chapel, and the entire first half of the season. Um, so that was a distinct and interesting choice. I liked that the scoring in the scene with Bedelia felt very indicative of her mental state, uh, without being over the top again. And uh, when Will and Hannibal are, um, you know, in the in the uh, when he's talking with Hannibal and giving him the puppy dog eyes and kind of laughing about how uh, being all cutesy and flirty um, in what feels like a very sincere out of character way to me uh, had to get another snipe in there. Apparently uh, we have ticking clock kind of uh percussion come in there. So like the, it, it's not the ticking clock of Mizumono, but it's the same oh. kind of, like idea of a very steady pulse kind of pushing forward. Um, the, the, there's excellent scoring, uh, or at least for me, very effective scoring in the, the convoy scene, um, we had season one kind of scoring for Jack, which I thought was interesting. It's not really season one, but it's it's heavier percussion. It's more that earlier sound of the show, uh, rather than where we had gone with Alana and Margot. We get a return of the more uh, of uh, of something that that's closer to the Verger theme and the kaleidoscopic sex scene music. That Verger kind of music, uh, though not, you know, though, though a little different, a little tweaked um when she uh alana and margot are leaving with their son um and then uh yeah that was then the last sequence which we've already talked about so those are the the kind of cliff's notes fast version of of kate's classical corner it has been a true pleasure to geek out about the music on this show um sean with you and noel with you as well and with all of our guests uh over the past three seasons and Thank you, Brian Reitzel, for making a score interesting enough to merit this. And thank you and our listeners for your indulgence while I do it. So it's been fun. Did you guys have any specific thoughts about the scoring for this episode? Sean?
0: The debut see in the beginning, I thought, worked really, really well. It was, like, surprising and really refreshing to get that. Um, And we'll talk about this later in our season awards, I believe. Uh, but uh, or series awards I should say but I, I really like Love Crime as well um, the, it, it was great that the scoring was able to replicate aspects of Mizumono with Ticking um, but not do it so overtly that it felt like it was an homage to that so two very very different episodes but I felt like that they played it off each other um, better than I had anticipated that they would
2: no, it's great that you mentioned the ticking because in my notes I had it, and I, literally in my notes I had, Kate's gonna love this. And uh, <laughs> I also, but the other thing I noticed in my notes was that it sounded very much like a Newton's cradle to me. And the little ball bearings ticking against each other, and then them speeding up and then slowing down again as the conversation was going. And I, I, really, I really enjoyed that. That was like the big thing that I picked up on with the scoring this time around. Mainly because watching it on the screener, it's I'm paying way more attention to the aesthetics because the screener size for me was so small that I was paying more attention to trying to pick up the images. And but the little Newton's cradle ticking. Blood through in the headphones, and this really is. And I know Brian Reitzel mentioned this on your talk with him, Kate. But this is a show that really you should always watch with headphones on because otherwise you just miss everything else that happens.
1: It's such. It's so densely scored, and then turned so far down in the mix. Uh, that you can't actually hear so much of what's happening distinctly. Headphones really helps, but anybody who's, you know, watched the first two seasons and with headphones and super, you know, intensely listened to it and then has listened to the soundtrack knows there's, there's like dozens, you know, baker's dozens, more than that scores of instruments and layers of, of scoring happening there that we just can't hear. Um, So I look forward. I assume there's going to be a soundtrack for season three, but I look forward to that. Oh, there better be that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I will speak from experience where I have a soundbar and a subwoofer and whenever I'd watch Hannibal live, I'd plug that in because normally I don't bother with the subwoofer, but I do it with Hannibal. My cat does not like it when I watch (laughs) Hannibal. (laughs) She's never happy when that happens (laughs) because she hears other things, I guess. And she's just like, nope. And darts under the bed. What's your cat's name? Uh, my cat's name is Minu, which is French for kitten. I did not name her. My uh, mother and sister did. But um, I got her when people started to move. And so my cat's name is Minu.
1: I feel like that's the name of a cat Hannibal would certainly have. Because you know Hannibal's a cat person.
2: Oh, totally a cat person. Because who wants to bother with a dog? Aside from Will, apparently.
1: <laughs> and Molly. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm still tripping out about how when we were talking with Randy, that the dog's name was Randy and the cat's name was Kate.
2: Yeah. Good time. Mm. That was the last podcast I got to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> my,
0: my final comment before I move on to the the next segment, and I know we're going to do our thank yous and goodbyes at the end. Kate, you mentioned just listeners for, uh, in, indulging. I don't think it's indulging. I think that they get a lot of great, um, enjoyment out of this. And, uh, I, I would just say that I, if you talk to any of my friends, one of the things that I have constantly said I appreciate the most in a, a person or in, in my friendships, the thing that I find um, absolutely most attractive is passion. And even if it's nothing that I have an interest in, like if somebody could talk to me about cars, I give no shits about cars whatsoever. But if you're really passionate about cars and you're talking to me, I'm invested because of that passion. I find passion really, really fascinating and very contagious, and so even though I know zip about classical music, it's been an absolute joy having Kate's, Kate's Classical Corner, uh, and I think that pretty much everybody would agree with that, so thank you for doing this for the past 39 episodes.
1: Actually, we didn't do it in the first ones, so there's a whole swath of season two. People are going to listen to season one and get to season two and be like, but where's... and there's, there's no devils and there's no... what's going... so... Oh well, I smell a spinoff <laughs> before he, Noel makes more work for us. Shall we move to devil in the details? Devil in the details?
0: Yes, definitely. All right. So of course, uh, the the segment in which we talked about some of the smaller things in the episode that stood out to us, I have <laughs> a few. I'll say. Uh, let's pick one at.
2: Good, because I don't have any. I was busy doing homework for the other stuff that we
1: had to do. (laughs) I have, like, two. So, Sean, this is going to be all you.
2: Yeah, this is all you, Sean. (laughs) Because I think I have, like, two as well.
0: (laughs) I'm going to shotgun, like, four of them right now, then. How does that sound?
2: Go for it. That sounds great.
0: First one, when, when we first see Bedelia... Is it the first time? Or... I think it's the first time. Whenever... Will's decided to do this plan Uh, What we have is A shot of Bedelia's face Clearly we understand what's going through her head And what Will has just said to her No words, just straight to the whiskey (laughs) And then my notes just says Bedelia face, then whiskey Not impressed Uh, And I thought that that was Great performance by Gillian Anderson Uh, a, A final time For the The Brian Fuller Steve Lightfoot writing Also in that sequence uh, Delia says, you've just found religion, nothing more dangerous than that, rather than there is nothing more dangerous than that. So, <laughs> one final omission in the subject department, um, the close-up of Will's face in that scene as well, before he leaves, there's like, the camera's right in front of his profile, and we just get the side of his face, that was a really interesting shot, That I don't think we've gotten anything similar to that in the past that I can remember, um... I'll, just because those are all part of the same scene, I'll, I'll stop there and kick it over to one of you. Uh, Noel, little thing. Well, one of the two things that stood out for you.
2: Um, I think one of the my, I think it's not even a small thing. It's a very prominent thing, but just the idea of Hannibal slash Mads Mickelson talking about dropping the dropping the mic, kind of made my day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such, it's such a weird and his Mikkelsen's delivery on you you drop the mic you dropped the mic will and now you're coming to pick it back up and i'm just like this is hilarious to me <laughs> and it just i had a really nice chuckle at that entire strain of thought and i think that's been a really nice thing throughout season 2 was how just sassy and whimsical that hannibal got to be behind bars essentially and i thought that was just a really nice capper basically since he gets out of gets out from behind his plexiglass at that point. But I just loved Hannibal discoursing about dropping dropping the mic. I thought that was great.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh yeah, I really like that too. I was definitely chuckling to myself. I know some uh, friends of the show are not a fan of that line uh, or that delivery, but I thought it was fantastic. Oh,
2: it was great. Yeah, no, I <laughs> loved it.
1: Uh, my first one also not a subtle thing at all. Very, very prominent. But I liked the burning stag head in the finale. That felt about right.
2: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's back to you, Sean.
0: No, I was just gonna say, yeah, to comment on both of what you said, yeah, I had the mic thing in my uh in my notes as well. Just because it it is like the most ridiculous comparison to the teacup dropping. Yes! <laughs> We've seen that in the past and then the mic drop as well, and here's Will coming to go pick it back up in the same way that we're meant to go pick up the pieces of the, the teacups.
2: Uh, see, this is why, I, this is why I, I feel like I should have been talking about this with you guys every week because I didn't make that connection, and that is a great connection. That is great. I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Sean.
0: I hope that whoever didn't like it may appreciate it more now because if you didn't like that mic drop line, I am a little bit upset with you. talking about uh the the stag as well i just as spoiler alert we have a a, like a things that we didn't like about the season and series in our awards as well um i was considering like the lack of uh, stag imagery in this season as something but there actually are moments throughout sprinkled in this season where we do get the stag image even though it's not as prominent as we got in the first two seasons and I really am glad that we did get to see it burning in this episode, so that was good. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, A couple things where there's like a full circle for this season. Uh, Obviously, all the the Abel-Gideon comparisons, not just, you know, Bedelia with her leg cut off, but also uh, transporting Hannibal felt very much like transporting Gideon in the past. And then when we see uh, Chilton in that um, device as his skin is recovering. That also reminded me of, uh, of Georgia from the first season. So those were two things. I still have some more. Um, there, I'm not sure. It was obscured by the clouds. This is in the final sequence once we've transitioned from uh, day to night at the bluff, but I, it looked like maybe a full moon behind the clouds, which I think I'm, I'm glad about because that's when Dollar Heart usually goes out for the kill anyway. Uh, and then also in that scene, uh, when he, when we see after he's shot through the window, then he kind of walks through the the broken glass. Uh, not only does that remind us of Randall Tier jumping through uh, in Will's house, but that's a very iconic image from uh, the Manhunter adaptation where this is something that Will does. And so I'm glad that uh, the show found a couple ways to do that. And then... Also, in that scene when uh, when Hannibal's on the ground talking to Dollar Hyde about how he's glad that he chose life and that suicide is the enemy, um, that also recalled Bella and uh, Hannibal's decision about what she chose in season two. Um, so, a lot of I think not overt callbacks here or there, but they're they're around uh, plenty in this episode. So, I'll kick it back to you, Noel.
2: Um, Kate mentioned um jimmy and brian getting their little moment in the sun so i won't rehash that but i was so happy that they got one last little great moment um i think the other thing that i really really liked was um bedelia's description of will as a righteous twitchy reckless little man i thought was just great and just filled with such contempt and was just such a such a Bedelia moment and also just kind of I thought dripping with jealousy about how Hannibal has viewed Will compared to how Hannibal has viewed Bedelia and I just I I, I really liked that last little like little character moment from Bedelia before everything just went to pot basically so no I think that's my last little like detail
1: and the, yeah. the last ones I'll go with is first of all that is a fantastic final edition of Lady Suit Watch Twenty Fifteen. Tm uh, Emma and Kayla and all of these one you know and all Elena and all the fabulous <laughs> friends on on Twitter. Uh, uh, uh Not I don't know if the lot, but definitely Emma and uh, Elena. Uh, so we got one more fabulous Alana suit. I love the black with the red accents and everything. Yeah. Fabulous and related, that kid. That kid is going to be, like, ridiculously fabulous. Can you think of how awesome that kid is going to be? Like, the kid's going to have issues, clearly. Yes. <laughs> but he, he can't help but grow up fabulous with Alana and Margo as his moms. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm glad you mentioned Alana because, I mean, when we get to the awards stuff, don't worry. I've got Alana covered. <laughs>
1: But, yeah, those are my last uh, I guess uh, when you're talking about lines of dialogue, the bluff is eroding. I know you're bluffing about this thing, ah, well. ah, I mean, no, I had
2: the same thought as well, yeah, so no, I'm with you there yeah yeah
1: it, it was it was kind of terrible, but i I could also see it working really well for, for the Lecterings Tumblr, so like I was of two minds on that one, but that's my last devil in the detail
0: yeah i I love the those entendres that are just so obvious, but they, they're fun. I think that that worked for me. Um,
2: yeah, no, I'm okay if they're obvious. As long as they're fun, we're good.
0: Uh, my final ones, uh, Katie mentioned uh, Retina Wesley's performance. I, I thought that she was really great in her two scenes. Uh, when she's talking to Will after the fact, the repetition of I put my hand in it, like the, the terror and the trauma of that after the fact I thought was really great. Specifically, and, and this is for the writing, to say, I put my hand in it, and she's still referring to Francis, and so now um, she's transitioned from thinking of him as a person to thinking of him as a thing, which is very appropriate, and uh, when she's first being led uh, back up to the bedroom by Dollar Hyde, she, and not much attention, I mean, it it seems dumb to say, but not much attention has been brought to her blindness in, in these episodes, she turns her body uh, before sitting down, before Francis says sit down. And so that's how, like, fantastic she is at gauging distance. Uh, and even in a short time, we, I mean, we don't know exactly how many times she's been to the house, but it can't have been many. And so to, to already know exactly the distance to where she can shift her body and prepare to sit down before actually sitting down on the bed, I thought was a great Detail there. Uh, the final one we talked about fairy tales quite a bit. The when Will saying goodbye to Hannibal and Hannibal says, "When life becomes maddeningly uh, mad, mad, it wasn't maddeningly."
1: maddeningly. Yeah. That's
0: that's what I thought. It, it wasn't maddeningly, which is what you just said. You said it when life becomes maddeningly. I'm pretty sure, which is why I, I spent more time trying to write that down. I can't wait. Regardless, whatever it says. When life becomes that.
1: <laughs> it's pronounced mossingly. Come on.
0: <laughs> exactly. When life becomes mossingly polite, uh, think about me. Think about me, Will. Don't, don't worry about me. Think about me. Am I correct in remembering that that's, uh, there's a song in Phantom of the Opera that's Think About Me?
2: I hate Phantom of the Opera, so I can't answer that question. It's Think of Me. Think of me, think
0: of me fondly. Think of me. There we go. So then that recontextualized that, and you know you could talk about uh, Molly, Will, and Hannibal fitting into those characters of Christine, the the Phantom, and whatever the guy's name is because I also don't know the the social media that well. But uh, that's my last detail. So
1: shall we throw to our our uh, clip from Emily?
0: Yes. So here is our clip from Emily, Steve.
2: Kate and Sean, thanks to you and your guests for so many weeks of insights and overviews of this fascinating, nightmarish, dreamlike show. I loved being on the podcast as much as I love listening to it. I can't wait to see what you do next.
0: And we are back. And is there anything that we wanted to talk about with relation to this episode before we move on to the awards categories?
2: No, I'm pumped. I put a lot of work into these. I put work
1: into these
0: <laughs> so what we have are uh two different uh, kinds of categories the season three awards and then the series awards so we'll do the season three awards first and there are a lot of awards here people so get ready for this and uh hopefully you'll be able to think on the spot and come up with your own uh i'm actually going to be dependent on the two of you because I didn't get to put as much time into this series awards as I would have liked. I think I'm good for the season awards though. So season three awards beginning with uh, most memorable act of violence. And this is distinct from the next award, which is going to be most memorable and actor of violence, but most memorable act of violence for season three.
1: Kate. Um, well, I have, I have backups for most of my picks in case other people take mine. Uh, so Why don't we throw it to Noel? Because as I understand it, Noel, you did the hard job of actually making yourself only pick one.
2: Yes, I did. Okay, so so go for it. All right. um, My most memorable act of violence in Season 3 is Jack beating the shit out of Hannibal to the Thieving Magpie Overture. That, to me, will always be, like, the big violence highlight for me. Because it's just such a great sequence of Jack being brutal again and getting the upper hand a nice callback to season two but also he gets he sneaks up on Hannibal the same way that Hannibal snuck up on Miriam last and I just really loved the symmetry of all of that and I think that for me was the big centerpiece of violence for me in season three was Jack pummeling Hannibal I didn't really wasn't crazy about him letting him go but the rest of it was really really good (laughs) nice
0: all right, so since, since Kate, you have multiple ones, I, I think what I did was get one, and then an honorable mention, so I, I don't think I have as many as you do, so I think for all these we'll go, no older than me, than Kate. Um, that was Jack fighting Hannibal was my, my honorable mention. I, I had to go with uh, the killing of ride in this, this episode, this final episode, as the most memorable act of violence. It just, um, I think it was that imagery of the dragon, both the times in which, Uh, he's thrown Will away and then he's walking menacingly towards Hannibal and that's when we see the wings the first time and then, like I said uh, earlier, when we see the wings the second time as he's falling down dead. uh, It was just a beautiful, beautiful sequence for me and that was the most
1: memorable. Yeah, that was fantastic. I had both of those. And I had uh, also, uh, because I had a feeling that of the three I have here, at least (laughs) the two would be taken. Uh, So I also have the home invasion which was yeah. fantastic uh, and uh, in, in a different category, but also still violence uh, for the comedic award. I'm going with uh, Hannibal and Enso- Soliato knife ah. temple, but yeah. it's not technically dead, you know, like <laughs> technically you killed him. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, those are my picks there.
0: That's interesting that none of us chose uh, the dollar hide biting off children's lips. Cause that's pretty horrific.
1: I've blocked that, that, that out of my mind. I had to watch that scene like five times for my music write up, and just it's it's it broke me. So no, I would no, prefer not to have that memorable. No,
2: it's really horrific. But I mean, it's just again, I think it's something that I think in part because I've got the Thieving Magpie overture just entrenched in my brain with him beating up Hannibal and that Bugs Bunny. Rossini connection even though it's two different operas it's just stuck in my head that I couldn't get it out and I thought of it before I thought of anything else that happened to Chilton in that episode
1: more on that theme later we will return to it
2: yes
0: (laughs) also uh shout out to uh it feels weird doing shout outs to acts of violence (laughs) Potsy being disemboweled and then hung
2: oh poor Patsy.
0: No, most memorable enactor of violence.
2: This gets to this was kind of a weird selection for me, but I gave it to Jack actually, not for the pummeling of Hannibal, but for going to Will's cabin and asking him to come back. I felt like was the ultimate act of violence towards Will basically. And I felt like it was basically, yes, I understand that you don't want to do this But I'm going to force you into a situation of doing this And I felt like it constituted basically psychic abuse and psychological abuse So that was my selection for this Because, again, a lot of this is basically This entire series to me is If Jack hadn't done this, then none of this would have happened And that's kind of how I see Jack as really kind of the most violent person in a lot of ways Nice
1: Yeah Sean?
0: Uh, and for me, um, I felt like it was a toss-up. Uh I went with Hannibal for uh like you mentioned, the Socliado murder, also the Potsy murder, and then the the buzzsaw to Will's head.
2: Not demon? Not 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 poor Diamond and his little heart body.
0: Oh god.
1: We'll get there, guys! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> I only have a few backups. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, H- Hannibal gets it for me, even though my, my runner up was also a very memorable
1: inactive. Um And I have Dollar Hyde, uh, but I'd like to also add to that Will in the yeah. recreation that we, that we get at the Leeds house. Um, sure, so he's not sure. actually the enactor of the violence, but that was um, incredibly memorable. Um, the ones I had written down here were Dollarhide, Hyde, uh, Hannibal and Jack for all this, this. See the previous category for why. Uh, but as we were talking and as you were talking about that, that fabulous explanation for Jack Null, that did remind me very much of how striking and uh, intense it was to see Will back in that position of uh, reenacting crimes sure. uh, after not seeing that for so long. Um, so, yeah. That's what I have.
0: All right, Noel, most memorable
1: costuming. There is one correct answer here. Just so you know. I said we'd get back to it, and my answer is all of Alana's pants suits. Lady suits, all caps, exclamation point. That is the correct answer. End of category, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there's,
2: I mean, yes, Hannibal's suit that Kate and I agreed on looks great in that little Memory Palace segment. But it's all of Alana's pantsuits in this in in this season. They're all fantastic. They look great. They signify a significant character shift, which is what you want from costuming, especially on this show of all shows. And so it's just it's it's her pantsuits. Period. End of stories. Sean, whatever you say, that's not her pantsuit is wrong.
1: <laughs> Bedelia's dress in Italy is stunning and amazing and gorgeous obviously right and but but it doesn't matter <laughs> and and, and margot wearing a wrap dress uh which is so you know again indicative of character very interesting doesn't matter alana had that spectacular spectacular red coat does not matter the correct answer is lady suits
2: sean yes. sean what's what's your choice for this
1: are you wrong?
0: Not that.
1: Yes. No, you're wrong. Okay, what is your choice?
0: Oh, I. the only reason that I'm wrong, oh, or the only reason I'm taking something else, is because I'm coming at it from a, a very different context, which I will admittedly recognize is not a great one. I'm going with, and I, I rarely do this. I definitely consider myself a feminist, but this is me being a guy and also having a massive crush on Julian Anderson growing up because I watched The X-Files.
2: Was it was it her last dress in the little segment?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah. I feel you. I feel you there. I feel you, my friend. I feel
1: Everyone you. feels you. She's Jillian Anderson, and she looks <laughs> amazing. But that the
2: dress is... is so great.
0: Are you kidding me? After all this time, she looks more beautiful now than she ever did. And then that that post credit scene was just well. That's it. That's fine.
1: Is that that's an "I'll be in my bunk" moment? Is what you're saying? Yes, yeah.
2: I mean, no, Sean. Really, I had that on my Google document that I put all these in. That was on there. I promise you. But I went with the pantsuits just because yeah. there were more of them.
1: You could, you could. I can see some people making the argument that uh, the back of uh, the t- the back tattoo for Dollar Dollarhide counts as costuming. Yeah, um, well, uh,
2: but it's again, lady suits. Yeah, it's makeup, which is different.
0: And and to be fair, to to address the other side of this, uh, I also thought that the Armitage and just underwear was pretty good to look at.
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I'd agree with that as well. Yeah, lots of eye candy on this show. Uh,
0: all right, so Noel, most memorable scoring or soundtrack piece for this season, not named Love Crime.
2: Right,
1: We Um, we can throw Love Crime in there. I'm very fine with that being in contention. It will not affect my pick. No,
2: I think even as much as I enjoyed Love Crime, I think there's really, for me, only one correct answer for this. And that's Reitzel's scoring during the Tiger scene. Absolutely gorgeous. I think that he topped himself with everything he's done with that one sequence, which I thought was just beautifully scored and that was easily my favorite piece of music this entire season.
1: Okay. And so you have you have Love Prime, Sean, but then after that you have what?
0: Right. If I, I so I had the only reason I had put that is I had anticipated that being one of the more memorable ones, but yeah, if it, if it's not that, uh this is kind of cheating a little bit. I'm going to pick Blood Fest when Will and Hannibal are in front of La Primavera.
1: That's not cheating?
2: That's on my list. Sure, sure. I understand that. I think it's cheating, even despite what Kate says. But since you're both the co-hosts, I'll let it slide. It's, I'm just a guest here.
1: It's <laughs> prominently featured in Dolce and in Digestivo in two very significant scenes. And it's used there in a different context. And uh, the way that it's scored is different. I think that uh, Bloodfest is a totally legit... Like, he rescores it two different times. So it's it's a different... It's a version of Bloodfest, but it's not the exact same pick. And it also doesn't say original scoring either. That's, so
2: that's true. That's fair.
1: So, that's I mean, fair. I think it's legit.
0: All right. So, okay, just justify my pick better than I could.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also one of mine, so, you know.
0: Well, the reason why is because, like you said, it, it's a different context. And I, like I've said before, I am very easy it's very easy to make me cry when you do something emotionally effectively, and I lost it during that sequence. I, I wrote about that in my review for that episode. Um, Bloodfest in that scene just a hundred percent contributed to how I, I viewed it as a, a big fan of Hannibal, and so that I couldn't not pick that. So I had to I had to cheat a little bit to do that. And incidentally, I'm, I'm get ready for me to cry at, at the end of this podcast once we start doing our goodbyes.
1: Absolutely. Um, that's maybe part of why I've limited myself to, uh, two glasses of bubbly for this. But, we'll see. Um, the pick I had, and I'm very surprised to not have you mention this at all, is, of course, the Rossini! Noel, come on! I factored it into the memorable violence bit, so I think that counts. Okay. Because I had... But I, yeah, no, I think the tiger sequence is just great, so... No, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderfully scored. Um, and and yeah, and I had Bloodfest as well and and then the Rossini because those are, I mean that's, yeah. it's, again, these are all sequences where if you took the music out the scene sure. would be significantly hampered. Right, um, flat yeah. entirely. Despite the fantastic work by everybody else involved, the music is essential to these scenes and that's why we're, yeah. like, they're ones that we're thinking of. So this category
0: is just, and I had a I don't know why. I guess because I'm an idiot. I had omitted it or- originally, but this is so obvious. The Hannibal TV series, Noel, for this season, uh, most memorable image.
2: Um, for me, it's Hannibal and Will sitting in front of the Botticelli, um, in Dulce. Um, it's just the fact that they had been separated for most of that stretch of the episodes, and they finally get to sit down together and have a conversation together. And I just loved the quietness of that entire scene and just them staring at the Botticelli together and I just I really loved that so that that for me is what is the big takeaway for me from this season is that image
0: I suspect because there was a mentioning of it earlier that I might be stealing thunder from Kate here but I gotta go with the the heart heart which was ridiculous by all intents and purposes but seen the heart transform into the stag and go approach Will in that really terrible but kind of lovingly way. its its The, the stag has always been uh, an image of protection and guidance, and that was just a, an absolutely wonderful bastardization of that. So that was my most memorable image.
1: Fantastic picks both. Definitely had them both on here. Uh, but fortunately, this is a season that has... Not been short on imagery. So, uh, from each of the halves, I feel like you can't really talk about memorable imagery from the second half of the season and not mention Reba as the woman clothed in the sun, clothed with the sun, I should yeah. say, not clothed in sun, clothed with the sun. Um, as and then Bedelia in the tub, yeah, sinking sure. into the depths, gorgeous, gorgeous. What a way to start
3: the season.
0: So the the next three categories are all best individual scene but they all come from a, a different angle. Uh, the first of which is best individual scene for performance. No.
2: Um, it's Raul Esparza is Chilton trying to save his skin in the wheelchair during his interrogation. I mean, just, it's a sparse's Emmy tape for an Emmy that he will not win, even though he totally deserves to win it for that episode. It's, it's just that, because that episode, that sequence is shot great, and it's all in Asparza. He's having to bring it pretty much every shot, and every shot he does, and it's just fantastic.
0: I mean, I have honorable mention through all of these, but I feel like this is one of the only categories where I don't even want to. Yeah, it's a hundred percent that for me.
1: Yeah. Uh, tiger scene, guys.
0: That was my honorable mention. Okay.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're... is
2: it is it for the tiger?
1: <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, because that to see is wonderful. Rallo Spars is amazing. As is Richard Armitage in that scene. Um, I also, because when I thought of it, I didn't think of a single performance. I thought of what I remember about this scene are the performances, or like, sure. the, like so. So for that one, it was so much the combination of Wesley and Armitage's performance. And the other one I had, because I again I made sure I had three <laughs> every category, uh, is the conversation in front of the Primavera.
0: Perfect. Uh, all right. So, best individual scene for writing, no.
1: Um, again, it
2: circles back to the Primavera um, sequence, which I thought was just, again, it's memorably shot, but it's also just so quietly written as well as performed. But it's quietly written as well, and it's just something that sticks in my brain. And I think it's probably the part of one of the big parts of the Italian arc that I ended up liking more than the Red Dragon arc, I think, in hindsight. was That's what stuck with me, was Hannibal and Will's conversation when they sat down with one another at the uh, Primavera.
0: That was also my pick. I broke the hell out of that that, uh, dialogue down in my review. And just also, yeah, I mean, that was really important. But uh, I'll say that my runner-up for that, which I also thought was fantastic, was in the next episode. Uh, the breakup dialogue between Will and Hannibal, which also just struck so many chords in, in different ways. So uh, to, it, it feels kind of, it's not really cheating because Will and Hannibal are Hannibal the TV series, but those were my two picks.
1: Um, I'd also throw some love to Drugged Bedelia with Will yeah. and Jack.
0: <laughs> um, I didn't even consider like comedic scenes for this, and I should have.
2: Oh, no, neither did I. Oh. Bedelia giving no fucks, yeah. Kind of hard yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: or or the, in a similar vein, although this might be more performance because of the reaction shots we got with Will or a big part of what made this work so well, but the, the dinner with Mason and uh, Hannibal and Cordell and Will. Because writing yeah. isn't just dialogue, it's also, and He's then also Will yeah. bites a bitch.
0: Yeah, and that scene as well, like, uh, why don't you just, you know... Burned down an orphanage or whatever he says That was fantastic
1: can
2: I, ju- can I just say real quick about Cordell Since I wasn't like on during those sequences Cordell was just great And I really think that they based a lot of Cordell On Jose Andres Who was their culinary consultant for the show It just felt like Very much like they were basing him On Jose Andres And I loved that mm-hmm. nice. Anyway go on sorry
0: <laughs> Okay so Yeah Next category, I feel like maybe this is one of the categories that deserves a not-named blank, but best individual scene for direction.
2: Sure. Um. It's For me, it's Michael Reimer's work during Dollarhide's invasion of Molly's Cabin. I think it's just really suspenseful and really well put together. I mean, part of it's just the editing, but also just a lot of it's just shot selection and the direction of that I think is just fantastic and so that for me was like the best individual scene of the entire sh- of this season for me technically speaking anyway yeah
0: that was my runner-up my my one that i thought might have been too obvious to pick but i have to pick it anyway was uh patente natale's kaleidoso- kaleidoscopic sex sequence with uh, Al- alana and margo it was just so fucking beautiful and just hats off for being able to do something like that on nbc
1: Perfect description. So fucking beautiful. The kaleidoscopic sex scene. Very nice. Um, Yeah. I had... Yeah. Those are great, great choices. Um, Because I was worried about with this one... I don't want our listeners to think that we're picking Natali scenes because he came on the podcast. Um, But his episodes... We're able, we're allowed to be, do so much visual storytelling because of the approach of the first half of the season. So, aside from the central set piece scenes that we've already praised um, in this segment, in these awards of the home invasion, of the tiger scene, of the Chilton scene, the directors have not been, there's been more plot in the second half of the season. So, uh, their direction yeah. has had to like accommodate that. Whereas especially in, in uh, Natali's first three episodes uh, and then episode uh, six as well, uh, he got to do a lot more visually. So we got all those uh, reflected um, uh, prismatic images in Contorno with Hannibal and Will. And we got the bath and we got the those are the images that stick with me. And so those are the scenes that came to mind for me. Um, and also with direction um even just something like uh the antipasto and once upon a time going into the curtain and the the, like that but it's hard to call that a specific scene because it's more the transition so what came to mind for to spotlight the direction on this season is just the very creative ways and very visually uh uh intriguing ways that the directors were able to transition between sequences and to do a lot of create creative storytelling and just visual flair going between set pieces but for an actual specific scene to be correct to the category y'all took mine and we already talked about them so tiger scene <laughs> and invasion and like you know these these ones that we already know that are obvious but i thought i'd throw a little love to the transitions
0: yeah and just very quickly before the next category and also to reiterate not just because we had him on the show but of all the directors who approached transitioning, and this is something that Natalie said on the podcast, like he was very aware of that, and little things like that go such a long way. So rather than just having establishing shots, which we got in the previous two seasons for him to do interesting things with transitioning, um, th- that has to be one of the many reasons why Fuller decided to use him more prominently in this season. Uh, but no, best episode for season three.
2: Alright, this is where I feel like we'll be able to like kind of spread out and we won't have as much overlap. Um, my favorite episode, in, and I'm using favorite as opposed to best, just because I think best is kind of, again, a really subjective thing, but for me, it's Primavera. Um, I really enjoyed the focus on Will. I enjoyed Will basically having to work through his breakup, quote unquote, with Hannibal in this scene, in this episode, and... Him using Abigail as a sounding board for why all of this would have happened to him. And I just, and it also has the heart sequence in it as well. So I feel like Primavera for me was the best episode of this season. I think it's just the most fully realized of what this season wanted to kind of get across. And I think that's where, why I ended up falling on Primavera for this. Plus, it's a, just a great exhibit for Hugh Dancy this season as well.
0: What I also liked about Primavera was saying goodbye to Abigail. That was a, a big part of that.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, for me, I already said it. I love both of you to death, but also fuck you. The Wrath of the Lamb is my
2: favorite episode. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I'm kind of with Kate. That may be my least favorite episode of the season. If not the series, yeah. <laughs>
0: Whatever. Don't care.
2: That's the whiskey talking, Sean.
1: That's, no, no. This is, is, we're getting real now, two hours in. You know, that's how how we roll. Those are great picks. Uh, Let me rephrase. One of those is a great pick, and one of those is (laughs) one of the worst episodes of the series. (laughs) For me, it's a pretty distinct one, two, three, and then a bunch of other episodes I really liked, and then a couple episodes I was iffy on, and then Wrath of the Lamb at the bottom. Um, So for me,. One, two, three is Antipasto, Primavera, Great Red Dragon. Uh, so Primavera was was wonderful, but I just I loved the approach of Antipasto. I thought it was for me Antipasto. Or, or, Noel, remind me: Are you a Doctor Who person?
2: Yes, I'm. I'm not going to watch it this coming season, but yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sean, remind me.
0: Uh, I've only seen uh, Eccleston and uh, the most recent one.
1: Okay, for for the, to those out there. For whom this means something uh, for me, Antipasto is the blink of Hannibal sure where it's sure, not I can see that it's not the start of the series or anything like that, but it shows the, the it's, it's Hannibal at peak Hannibal of all the things it's interested in and all the things that really much like a drugged bedelia does not have any fucks left to give about. Uh, And I think anyone can just watch it as a standalone and get a sense of the show and know if this is a show for them. Uh, Because there's enough, like, you don't need to know who Gideon is. You just need to know that it's fucked up that he's being served himself. Uh, And Will's not even in the episode. Uh, So, like, I I just, I thought it was fantastic and uh, so artful and so memorable and did, you know, saw them playing with aspect ratio and with black and white and yeah. this wonderful, wonderful soundtrack as well as score. But for me, I really came into the soundtrack for that episode. Uh, fantastic performances. Very glad to have Eddie Izzard back when I don't know that any of us who don't, who avoid Brian Fuller's tweeting uh, would have expected him to come back. So that for me is the, the, the one that stands out above everything else no you've talked about primavera and the great red dragon what a fantastic way to introduce dollar hide yeah. that was
2: like my that was like my runner up for this episode was the great red dragon yeah 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 i
0: love primavera and the great red dragon absolutely and also dolce and digestivo all right so the next category um is the season lvp we often talk about mvps but this is the least valuable player and this is also called the Womp Womp Award.
1: Sad trombone.
0: <laughs> this could be literally anything. So with the MVPs, which we're going to get after this, this is specifically for performers, but the LVP can be anything, uh, a line of dialogue, an image, uh, soundtrack decision. The, the thing that really was a thorn in your side for this season, Noel, what's your season LVP?
2: I had two choices for this and it came down to basically the one that impacted my experience with this with this season the most and it's obviously the split structure of the season it just it boggle it boggled it boggled it bungled a lot of I think both halves of the season and I feel like it contributed basically to a lot of my overarching problems with things across the board so it's just it's the split structure of the season
0: i'm gonna be probably a little bit biased here because i feel so strongly about this subject it's a very touchy subject for me but the adherence to the red dragon dialogue is my womp womp award i really wish that i i really yeah i love that fuller was so inspired by thomas harris to do this and to do it so creatively and, and honestly, there were only a few moments where it was like, ah, that's Red Dragon, and that's kind of annoying. But I just because of how fantastic the first two seasons were in terms of breaking away from that, I, I wish that he had relied less on the source material. So that's my womp
1: womp award. Okay. Now, I bet anybody listening knows what my pick is, which is why I'm not going to make it. But for my actual pick, see the first hour and a half of this podcast. Instead, <laughs> I'm gonna give it to the utter wasting as a character. It, I, this is I blame the writing here uh, of Mrs. Potsy oh. and Zachary Quinto. Uh, like guys, really, seriously, seriously, with this, uh, they should have done better by both by Mia Maestro and by Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto, and what they gave us for Bedelia's patient. We didn't need to see. We could have. Yeah. We, we didn't need to see that. They could have spent that time many other ways, or they could have given Zachary Quinto, who's proved himself to be a very talented and very uh, dynamic, and he's got a huge range. If anybody watched him on Girls or earlier this year, knows the man can do comedy, uh, and they gave him nothing. Uh, the whole point was that he was a an everyman, and it's like I don't know. They 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 should've they should done that better and they also should have made mrs potsy a character like with a name and with a job and with you know anything so that's or they should have not introduced her that like they they should've done that better so that that's where i'm giving my womp womp of the season
2: wow i'm 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 pleased that no one else thought of chio as a womp womp just me okay great
1: yeah All definitely right. not chio they should have oh. used her better but i like chio
0: they should use her better. My, my runner-up was actually uh, Bedelia.
1: Oh, okay,
2: cool. Well, I feel better about my next choice then. Okay.
0: All right, so uh, next award season, and this is their season three, season MVP for uh, supporting role. So not Hugh Dancy, Max Mickelson, Caroline Davenna, I pronounced that incorrectly, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, or Jillian Anderson.
1: Wait, well, you're counting Armitage as a supporting role?
0: The, he's not listed in the credits
1: he's he's a lead no that's ridiculous he's a lead
0: uh, okay so then i gotta think about my pick after Noel talks
1: <laughs> well see it's
2: funny because like jillian anderson was my runner-up for this just because i considered her like a supporting actress in this but no that's interesting sean uh, while you're mauling um it's rutina wesley hands down um i thought she was just fantastic as reba And I think it's easily by far and away my favorite version of that character from the other adaptations, which is where some of that was coming from. But there's just an elegance to her performance and a strength to her performance that I feel like hadn't been in other versions of this character. And I just loved how carefully and but also boldly she inhabited... um, uh, Reba and for me she was like for the big standout part of this second half of the season for me
1: um, While you're still mulling there Sean uh, that's, I, I absolutely had Reba here I also had uh, Nina Arianda as Molly uh, because yeah, we sure. know Molly completely in her first 30 seconds of screen time in The yeah. Great Red Dragon uh, so she's hardly in the season but when she's there, she makes a huge impression, and that tells us so much about Will, uh, and all the great stuff we get about her and from that performance from Nina Arianda also tells us everything we need to know about Will and what those, what these last three years have been for him. At least to me they do. See the first hour and a half of this podcast as to why <laughs> that made me not like this finale.
0: Sean? Uh, well, it seems like can't pick Richard Armitage, and since Kate just said Nina Arianda, uh, I, I, I'm i definitely, well, I hope not. We're, we're going to mention...
2: Potsy. I mean, is that all you're left with? Cordell?
0: No, no, no. No, we're, we're going to mention her in, in the latter half of this. Uh, we're going to talk about her in this series of awards, I'm sure, but even just in this season, and in the brief time, uh, and just spoiler alert, I'm not going to pick her for this later, but... It's uh, Gina Torres in her episode as uh, Bella. So, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that was it. I had Armitage because he was listed in the guest stars, but okay.
1: Well, I have him down as one of my picks for season MVP in a lead role because, duh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is our next category, so Noel, who's your pick here?
2: It's Hugh Dancy. Um, he did fantastic work throughout this entire season Um, from exploration of trying to figure out what makes Hannibal tick to smaller stuff, especially in a couple episodes ago when he's just talking to Wally and then talking to um, Molly, just those types of interplays and his reactions to both of them. I tweeted, just give him all the awards. And this was for me, I think Dancy's big season and I just, I couldn't get enough of his performance this year. I just, I loved everything he was doing this year.
0: And I'll pick the other side of the coin and say Mass Mikkelsen for uh, the dude. I mean, we talked about it at length. He's so great in this role. And whether it's comedic stuff like slurping up children's lip or the most dramatic things that you could possibly think of, His facial expressions are really what do it for me, and they denote every emotion that the character is supposed to be experiencing, whether that's the intense grief or sadness at what Will is giving him or not giving him, um, in that case, uh, to to the whole gamut. And I think Mikkelsen has been absolutely fantastic this whole season, and even though it's hard to stray from the Will Hannibal dynamic in the first few episodes where they're not on screen together. Uh, he still, Mickelson still carried himself perfectly fine without Judenzi opposite him. So that was my pick.
1: I'll round it out. Armitage, Richard Armitage. And I'm saying his name right now. So yay, go me. Uh, yeah. This, you guys already took my other two. For me, this is a three-hander. Second half of the season. Uh, first part of the season, I would say that you would put, uh, Gillian Anderson as the third lead. Um. Chio feels much more supporting than, than Anderson does yeah. in the beginning of the season. But uh, but no, I'll give it to Armitage, who does... I mean, just the way that that character has morphed over the season, even when I don't agree with... you know, I don't like the way that they handled it. The performance has been impeccable. And uh, I hated the first Hobbit and didn't see the other two Hobbits. And this is from somebody, someone who has done the Lord of the Rings extended marathon many a time. I love me some Tolkien. I love me some Lord of the Rings films. Uh, so to 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 know him as, oh, yeah, he was Thorne Oakenshield in that version of The Hobbit that, that you hated, uh, even though you wanted to love it. And then to see this, uh, yeah, wonderful. I will be very actively following his career uh, moving forward, as well as the rest of this cast. But most of these people I already, you know, I, I already was a big fan of theirs from previous work. Or like even Mass Mickelson I had seen um in, in, in some of his previous work and I thought it was very impressed by him. But um aside from not really knowing Hugh Dancy the, I would say that this is the biggest surprise to me, uh, getting to discover Richard Armitage this season.
0: I'll, uh, I'll just quickly throw in my opinion and say that the Hobbit films were useless. Okay, moving on.
2: Yeah, weird weird season for dwarves between Richard Armitage and then Aiden Turner doing Poldark. Just a weird season for dwarves from The Hobbit this year.
0: Uh, it's, okay, so because we're treating this as a, a final podcast, the Hannibal Series Awards, and most of these are the same. There's going to be a couple additions, uh, but no. Most memorable act of violence slash tableau, because those were absolutely more prominent in the first two seasons than they were in this season, I would say. But uh, most memorable act of violence slash tableau for Hannibal the Series.
2: This one actually took me a little while, like gut instinct going back and forth. Like I had the human cello on there because I just loved that image so much and Will playing it. But I ended up with Mason getting full of himself as just <laughs> something that's never going to leave my brain. And just the combination of the prosthetics and the makeup and Michael Pitt's performance in that entire sequence, plus Hannibal just saying, eat your nose. Just all of that is just a contributing to that's going to stick in my brain forever as much as I kind of don't want it to. But yeah, so Mason getting full of himself is like my series for memorable violence.
0: There are just so many options to pick here, but I'm going to go with... the
2: uh... Right, so many.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Tree Man just for... It was one of the, the ones where I was like, how the fuck is this even possible? So that I- I gets the award just for that.
1: <laughs> for me thinking of it as an act of violence versus a tableau was very different. And so... Yeah, I agree. For an act of violence, um, there are two that are glued in my mind, and I kind of wish they weren't, but the only way they could not be is if I hadn't started watching this show, and I don't wish that. Uh, And they are the Frankenstag, as already mentioned, uh, and the man waking up inside the mural and tearing himself out of it.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh. So. Yeah, that's rough. I,
1: like, I just, like, my stomach turns over just thinking about that. Um. So that's different than the tableau itself. Um. But that's what absolutely came to mind. And then, I mean, the real answer for this, I think, I think we'd all agree. The real answer for this is the red dinner. But. Sure. If, if sure. you want to bring it to, like, a more, like, if that doesn't count because, literally half of them <laughs> i have
2: that for other things i have that which for like half <laughs> of this list yeah
1: um so, right so, Yeah. those are the other ones that came, or like the the fight scenes with jack and and hannibal that we've already talked about from season two and season three would also you but thinking of it as as the 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 violence as opposed to the as violence as opposed to action made a big sure. difference for me so that's why i went with with the, the the man waking up inside the mural um but these are all excellent excellent picks very violent very tabloy
0: and this is why the, the category is not best episode later it's best episode not named *Mizumono* because we could pick things out of *Mizumono* for pretty much everything because that's a perfect episode of television.
1: And I did. (laughs) And I did, too. Yeah, so let's move on to our next category. (laughs)
0: All right. Uh, Same thing as the season award's most memorable enactor of violence, Noel.
2: Well, again, this circles back to my choice for season three, and it's, it's Jack. I mean, just, it's the fact that Jack doesn't pull Will back from that edge in season one, and then that he is in league with Will after Will gets out. And doesn't stop Will from going down this path. He's assuming that Will is in control of himself when probably not the best decision. And I think it's, it's Jack. Even though I also think that Jack also arguably has the most compassionate use of violence in this season as well. And so I think but it, it's, if we're using violence, it's, it's Jack for me just from a psychological standpoint of what he inflicts upon Will, it's Jack.
0: And it's weird that I didn't pick him for the season awards, but I feel like when I think back on the series, just because Dollar Hyde is the greatest adversary for our two main characters, uh, I got to pick Francis for the most memorable an actor of violence, even though he wasn't my pick for the season awards, just because I think it how memorable he is within... The context of the series and not just the season, I think, is heightened just because there's nobody that Will encountered who was a greater force or a greater roadblock uh, for most of the conflict in this series than Dollar Hide was.
1: Um, I have Hannibal. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's also the muralist for the reasons mentioned above, uh, above on my page, but earlier. Because this is a podcast, and that's the form, uh, as well as Tobias for the cello.
2: Tobias, yeah, yeah, and also just that great fight scene with Hannibal. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Most memorable costuming.
2: Um. It's obviously Hannibal's magical transparent murder suit. I don't totally know really. what other answer. You... Clearly, yes, indeed, clearly. Ah. ah.
1: <laughs> Go us. Um,
2: <laughs> But no, it's, it's, it's just, it's that. I mean, it's just the fact that Hannibal would choose a suit that still showed off his suits while he was committing a murder. To me, that's just the best bit of costuming across the entire series. Just that he cares enough about aesthetics for his victims to see his suits. (laughs) It speaks volumes about his vanity and his dignity and his pride that he would want that visible and I just and plus it gives him the ability to move giant trees around apparently <laughs> so that's my choice for best costuming is his magical murder transparent suit
0: the first one that popped into my mind was uh freddy lands on stand
1: oh yeah yes yeah, Husan yeah 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 Husan in season two definitely had that one uh kill suit fantastic choice I can't argue with that. Uh, this is where I'm sneaking in with, uh, just as a tangent, one of my the most uh, striking images of the series for me is the all-red Freddy
3: from yeah. uh, Sure.
1: I didn't see another category to put that in, and it's not a costume. It's makeup, but I thought I'd mention it there. We've already given so much love to the lady suits, so uh, and also, I think by extension, Hannibal suits, of which those are clearly derivative, I'm going to give a shout-out to Hannibal, first no, Will, and then God. Hannibal in the stretcher with the face mask, uh, playing on that iconic imagery. And Specifically, if I, to, if I have to pick one, I'll go with Will in season two. Uh,
0: all right, next category, most memorable scoring or soundtrack piece, not named Bloodfest. And, of course, this just draws attention to the fact that Reitzel doing his variations in the Goldberg variations was just ridiculous. And that's... There's not another pick for this.
1: That is the
2: correct pick, yes. Yeah, no, that's the correct pick.
0: That, that's the correct pick, okay. So, most number one not named like this.
2: Um, for me, it's it's a soundtrack piece as opposed to a score, and it's not even like a musical piece. It's the sound of a flexi-straw going down Will's throat to shove the ear down. I will never get that that sound image association out of my head as long as I live. Anytime I hear a bendy straw, I think about an ear being shoved down a man's throat. Now, and yeah, that's gonna stay with me for probably the rest of my life. And on some level, I'm okay with that. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the bit of yeah that's 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 what it is for me.
0: No, that's a good one. Mine is also a uh, s- soundtrack piece. Um, the and this is kind of cheating because it's also from Mizumono, but the ticking, like uh, so many things contributed to that episode. But the constant water drops and the clock ticking made the the tension rise in that episode so perfectly. So, and it, it has also appeared in other episodes since then. So I went with that.
1: Rossini immediately came to mind, but I think that's recent recency bias. So instead, uh, to be much more literal, but and also use the the category to spin off to mention another scene that I loved, the night at the opera.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I need more live opera as performed by opera singers in my television. So who doesn't on my television? Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, next category: most memorable image for the series. Like this is also the what the fuck award. How are you supposed to pick this?
2: Right. Um I picked the Beverly Cats tableau actually for this. Um for me it's I think it's the tableau that hits the hardest just on a character level and just the way that they map it out as well from like letting us see the dissections and everything and that it's about Beverly I think is something that just had the biggest impact on me of uh, across the season was seeing beverly spread out for want of a better word and dissected uh, it was it's just going to stick with me and it's i think one of the most memorable parts of the show not from mizumono
0: mm-hmm. uh, because i'm not going to have another chance to mention this just an honorable mention to georgia under the bed which kind of gave me nightmares uh but my actual pick yeah my actual pick for this and maybe somewhat cheating, it's the stag motif, which has found its way into my life because I have a stag on the refrigerator. My brother bought a stag. as like a a headpiece for the kitchen table, and it was originally like a porcelain white, but he painted it black.
2: That's that's not okay. You need to move out of there right now.
0: <laughs> it's something I want to try to do for Halloween one of these days. Yeah, that that's... When I think... Of Hannibal, yeah, that's that's the thing that sticks out to me.
2: Sure, why not? I thought about that too. Yeah.
1: Um, on a similar note, and this may just be because I saw such a badass cosplay of it at uh, at Comic Con this year. Uh, Wendigo Hannibal in the suit, sure, is yeah. a powerful image. And as on the theme, like as a motif, the water and drowning, drowning image that we've gotten throughout the the series so from season, that's a through line that takes us from season one up to the cliffs at the very end that's you know will starts the the series um, sweating through his sheets and feeling like feeling the water rising and then at the end he chooses to throw I don't agree with it but whatever it's not my show he chooses to throw himself <laughs> into the water with Hannibal uh, and embraces that that falling into that water in a way that uh, he never was able to. Until that point.
0: All right. Noel, best homage to another property.
2: It's the red bathroom from The Shining, if only so I get to shout, Use the ladies' room! I had that, too! Did you have that, too, Yes! Son?
0: I have that. I have that. God damn it.
2: Clearly the correct choice. <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's it's just it's so provocative. And you're just like, Why is this bathroom red? And it's just like, because we felt like doing a Shining homage, and it's just like, oh, that's cool, that's fine. Plus, you get Lawrence Fishburne yelling at a guy to use the ladies' room.
1: Nothing is better than that. <laughs> nice. I think I feel like we can just move on, unless we have others.
0: <laughs> no, that's that was my pick. Absolutely. I mean, like you could say other Brian Fuller uh, things, like uh, having Georgia or anything else.
2: Right, and I mean that was like some of where I was going with this because you said another property, and I was just like well, I can't pick any of the Thomas Harris novels because they're all kind of like part of this property. And But to me, like, if that's allowed, then it's this show's ability to remix and sample and just rearrange all of these novels, then obviously that's the best homage. But if you want something outside of the Hannibal franchise, it's The Red Bathroom.
0: All right, Noel, best individual scene in the entire series for performance.
2: Yeah, that wasn't that that was that wasn't hard. Um it's Mickelson in Mizumono during the red dinner. I mean, just he's so raw there. He's just he's letting himself slip. He's just he's so upset and he's conveying Hannibal's disappointment and sadness and anger towards Will in that scene's just so it's just a really raw bit of performance From a from a performance and character That's just been very restrained And s- not smug isn't the right word But it's also kind of the right word Hannibal's kind of a smug son of a bitch And I think that for me was just like Where if you haven't been clicking into Mickelson For whatever reason That's where you should be clicking into Mickelson's performance It's that right there and if it's not that, then it's him responding to Will breaking up with him, essentially, in uh, Dig- Digestivo. But it's Mickelson either way. Yeah,
0: it's it's, def- it's definitely Mizumono. If I have to throw in another one into the, the mix, I'm just going to give a shout-out to uh, Gina Torres when Bella has decided to commit suicide Uh she was such a strong presence on this series, and I think that for me caps off how strong her character was.
1: The correct choice is the Red Dinner. Uh is Mizumono. Really, it's all of Mizumono, but let's it's a scene. So the Red Dinner, specifically Hannibal and Will. And Mickelson is amazing there, but Dancy is also fantastic. Uh and that, that scene doesn't work without both of them being equal partners in that sure. scene. The actors. Uh so yeah. You give, I uh, co-sign everything you said about Mickelson, and Dancy is also phenomenal in that scene as well. And when you watch it and you know that the way they filmed it was they did the whole thing and then they cleaned up all the blood and they did it all and they did the whole thing because that was the only way to get those performances for those actors to get where they needed to get. And the show's understanding, David Slade's understanding of that as a director and support of that and the shows and the production support of that. I mean, can you imagine being the person whose job it is to like clean up the blood and to give them the new, like, the new shirt, and then to go, like, wash the other shirt that's been soaked in blood so that they can reset the scene again. Uh, and they're like, can we do one more? He's like, no. Just, like, it was good, right? It was good enough? So, like, the it's an amazing amazing accomplishment it's one of the best scenes in all of the history of television uh and it is the correct choice for every part of this subcategory of best individual yeah, scene yeah yeah i mean it's the red dinner for writing it's the red dinner for direction for me yeah like, yeah i love no, the show i love it, everything about this i love a lot of the things about this show see so the first hour and a half of this podcast but it is for me it all comes down to musumono as the pinnacle
2: yeah, no, I'm with Kate. I'm sorry, Sean, that we've ruined your awards category, but it's Mizumono for, like, the next two categories. <laughs> feel free to disagree, Sean. You're wrong, but feel free to disagree.
0: <laughs> I I cannot reasonably disagree with that, but uh, maybe we can give shout-outs to honorable mentions for Best Individuals for Writing and Directing. Uh, we'll go with writing. Is there anything else you wanted to mention for writing, No.
2: Um... I didn't think of anything else. I did gut checks for all of these and just went Mizumono. I think if there's one other thing for writing, it's... um, I can't remember the name of the episode, so either of you chime in with this. But it's basically the entire episode, but the tail end of the episode with um, the horses and Peter and his social worker inside the horse, if just for the line of... Peter's your social worker inside that horse? <laughs> yes. And, and but, then you I mean, should go back s- in that horse. <laughs> yeah. Just that entire sequence and that whole mirroring of Hannibal and Will through Peter and his social worker, whose name I can't remember. Um, just all of that, I think, was just really spot on, smart writing from them, especially at that point in season two.
1: I want to say Su- Suzakana, but I could be wrong on that. I think that's I think I think you're correct. Yeah,
0: I think you might be correct as well. Yeah, if I had to pick something that wasn't Musumono, um, the the moment that really stuck out for me, and this is multiple aspects, but the writing especially at the end of the season one finale when it's uh, hello Will, hello Doctor Lecter. That's where I realized like, oh shit, like I need to devote my life to this series now.
1: <laughs> and a podcast was born um, Yeah, for, again, I've already said my piece on this If I'm going to give uh, give it to another An honorable mention to something else And this is not a scene Because for me, this show is so consistent It's really hard for me to pick a scene Sure If it's not the Red Dinner And uh, so I'm just going to Because of degree of difficulty That's a really good pilot, guys It's a really good it pilot It is, yeah And pilots are hard and establishing a world so immediately and so fully uh, is particularly challenging. So I'll give some love to the pilot.
0: Uh, Noel, do you have a best individual scene directing that's not me, familiar?
1: Yes, I do. Um, it's, it's the
2: cold open of um, whatchamacallit? you call it?'s um, hang on, I'm wanting to pull up the director because I, I didn't write this down, but I had it in my brain. Which hang season? On. Uh, no, it's season one. It's John Dahl's code, cold open for Buffet fr- Freud. Foi. I mean, fraud. Yes, sorry. Um, no, it's it's that. I mean, just that entire episode is great, I think, from a directorial standpoint. But that cold open is Hannibal being a horror series in a way that's really actually kind of rare for the show to be a horror series. It basically only happened again in season two with the uh, Randall tier sequences but for me it's that cold open is just i don't think i breathed during that entire cold open
0: i think that that's totally legitimate um if i had to pick one that wasn't me also from season one uh i have to look this up right now uh but it would be from March, which was the uh the, the episode with tobias um i, I mean like this is just to give like an honorable mention because it was a great scene. Absolutely, the home invasion was like a more tense sequence. But having uh, Will go down into Tobias's basement in the the music shop, like you said, no buffet foie was where you felt like it, it touched the horror aspects of the series better than anything. This it it wasn't a horror; it was more like uh, action or tension or something else. But um, that was a scene that really stuck out to me because it made me feel things which Hannibal hadn't done before that. Mostly I had considered Hannibal like a very intellectual and dialogue-driven series before that, and with that, with uh, Pramajan, the the ending of that episode, and that also includes the the Hannibal fight sequence with Tobias as well, it it was able to do action in a way that I was surprised that it was able to do action.
1: Um We've already given a lot of praise to David Slade by you know through yeah. ex- extension via you know Miz- Mizumono in the pilot, um, and so I just feel like David Slade, we love you. This is clear. Uh, also, we've given a lot of praise to Vincenzo Natali uh, for his work this season, but I'm also gonna heap onto that uh, the the five way. With uh, Hannibal, <laughs> sure, sure, and and Alana and Margot and uh, Will and the Wendigo, because this was already such an incredible series, but that scene felt like the show taking a leap into something new. They had already done a lot. They would already done a lot of like the the water crushing in on Will, and like they'd done a lot of imagery, but that was like a new level of trippiness and art house movie. Um. And it 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 succeeded so completely, and it, it felt like it opened up a new door for them. It got them to bring Natalie back a bunch for the next season, but also, you know, more specifically, it's uh, this is Nakachoko by the way in season ten. I mean, sorry, season episode ten of season ten. Season no, episode, what's what episode time 10. machine do you have, Kate? And can you get a ride? Is what I'm guessing, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, it felt like that was them crossing to like a new level of experimentation visually and uh, i loved it so that's one of the ones that came to mind
0: all right noel best episode not named mizumono
2: i'm glad that you actually mentioned it a little bit earlier sean but it's it's savro the season one finale um is just fantastic across the board you get to see how hannibal has framed will So elegantly plus with like little garnishes that maybe just weren't totally necessary like the fishing cloak the fish lines and everything but also just that last scene of hello Will hello Dr. Lecter and it's just like this show is just so great. I knew it was great before the finale but it's just like that locked it in and for me if I'm not getting to choose Mizumono it's the season one finale for sure.
0: And this is the episode where, when I'm trying to pawn Hannibal off to other people, I'm just like, just, just wait till you get to this episode. Just wait till you get to this episode. Uh, it's it's buffet Froid, which we've already talked about, because it's it's so impactful. Like it's it's a different version of Hannibal, which is weird that I would be like, oh, you know, this is very representative. It's not really representative, but it's such a powerful experience to have while watching this series. I there are few episodes other than home um, in the X-Files where I've been more terrified watching than Buffet Raw.
1: It's a fantastic episode. One of my favorite podcasts that we've done, by the way, with friend of the podcast, Libby Hill, uh, our podcast for that episode. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I unsurprisingly to many will, am going with Auntie Pasto because I loved it. I like loved everything about it. If you're not sure and want to hear why, Go to popoptic.com and check out my review of the season three premiere because uh, I thought it was fantastic. And like I already said, it's for me, it's the blink of Hannibal. Do you like this? Then you're going to like this show and what this show is willing to do, is able to do, and uh, is most interested in doing. So while I these are fantastic other choices, for me, uh, I it's Mizumono and then it's Antipasto.
0: No best season of Hannibal.
2: Yeah, um, it's not season three. (laughs) Kill that suspense. Um, But it's season one. Um, I feel like it's kind of unfair to choose season one in a little bit. But at the same time, it's just like the show just came out and just went, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And apart from the episode that never actually aired in the United States, every episode is good to great and it's just such a compelling interesting season of programming that it's if it's not chosen chosen just from I can understand picking season two but for me it's just season one from a novelty standpoint of oh my god how is this on broadcast tv is all that foundation for anything that comes after is laid down in season one And so that's why I picked season one as the best season of the show.
0: I suspect that I'm going to have the least popular opinion for this category.
1: Ah! Yes, you are. Because you're going to say three, right? You're going to say three, aren't you, Sean?
0: Not just this. I suspect I'm going to have the least popular ranking of the seasons. I feel like season two was my least favorite and season three was my most favorite. Okay. I mean, watching rewatching season two, which is what I, I rewatched both of them before uh, coming to season three, uh, very soon before season three started, and the two episodes following Will coming back out of uh, being locked up, these were with um, Jeremy Davies, and those episodes they felt so disjointed that it was a, a small but noticeable blemish on season two, and for that reason, I think that even though that was the season where I was like, oh, shit, like, Hannibal is a legitimately great series, there were, in retrospect, there was more about season one that I liked that I felt comfortable enough putting it ahead of season two. And then season three, you talked about how disjointed it was in terms of the the two halves of it. I think that's why I liked it as much as I did. And if you had talked to me, like, before the Red Dragon arc started... I would have said, oh, no. I mean, season three is just not up to par, which is weird because the reasons that I like Hannibal fall in line with the reasons why I like those episodes, or at least a lot of those episodes. But once we got into the Red Dragon stuff, I don't know. It was just because of how stark the difference was between the two halves. And everything that I like about Hannibal as a TV series is in season three at some point. And I really admire going out on a limb and trying to be creative and making risky decisions, even if some of them didn't pay off that well.
1: The answer for me is season two, and it wasn't hard. Yes, we've, got, was... we've got everything covered. Yeah, we've got a I'm clean week. I'm happy sweep. About that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That was like an, oh, but of course. I mean, like, I mean, guys, come on, of course. Clearly it's season two. So this is fun that we're all coming from such different places. Yes, it has the second weakest, probably, episode of the series, which is that courtroom episode, which I still think is good. I think it gets too much hate. I don't think it's all terrible. Yes, Prinrel is really annoying to say. More on that later. But, uh, but I actually think that episode is solid. Um, and I really liked pretty much all of the season. And the reason I put it ahead of season one is that this, again, it's the show playing with Visual storytelling more and more as it goes on. Uh, it 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 gets us inside Will's head. But I mean, by the end of the season, when we have yes, season one had encephalitis trippy Will, but by the time we have the merging of Hannibal and Will's faces, when we are being challenged with Will's tableaus, um, I mean, I think it's just the show kept pushing itself and expanding through uh, with its visual language and storytelling and the performances too um, throughout the first two seasons. And then I love the first half of season three of Hannibal with slight reservations, which we talked about when we got to the end of the first half of season three. Um, So, I mean, I thought I I really uh, enjoyed most of that when people say they don't, that the first part of season three is too, it's like, like I've heard a lot of people say things like, Oh, it crawled up its own ass or uh, it's too artsy fartsy. Uh, they, this is, we watch different Hannibals because <laughs> that's exactly what I love about the show, um, so, but, it, but it still had some issues, some, some story, like some plotting issues or as far as like spending their time correctly in the first half of season three, um, and then the second half of season three clearly let me down in a few ways. Um, I think I look at season season three and I think, oh man it's too bad it's really great, but it could have been better. I look at season one and I say, this is fantastic. It's just, it's blossoming. And I look at season two and yes, maybe it, you know, each, every single episode isn't as good as the, the, the lowest episode of season one. I actually like episode four, which didn't air, but um, anyways, uh, but as a whole, as a unit and as a very clear, push towards Mizumono and then the delivery of Mizumono is the cherry on top. The bloody, gory uh, unforgettable cherry. Uh, Season 2 is clearly the strongest of the three for me.
0: Alright, and if listeners would like to talk shit to me about liking Season 3 the most, feel free to do so because I have tough skin and I can take it. Uh, We'll move on to the the series LVP. Once again, the award uh, for the whole series. Noel, what do you have?
2: I didn't like picking this One, just because it was something I had like defended constantly in comments, but still recognized as an issue, which is Alana in season two was just one of those things where it was just like, I understand where Alana is coming from. I understand where the show wants us to come from with this, but it just doesn't quite work as well as the show thinks it does, I think. And so that's why I ended up picking up the show's treatment of Alana in season two is like its biggest kind of glaring flaw for me overall. I mean, I can kind of deal with everything that happens in The Wrath of the Lamb to a certain extent. But this, I just was like, "Uh, you guys had time to sort this out. And there wasn't an issue of, oh, writing on the wall type of situation. No, you you guys knew you had this. And you just went, meh. Okay, so yeah, Alana's treatment in season two.
0: Uh, mine was purely situational, but it's the only thing when I look back on the series that I really wish could have been changed in some way. Everything else I can find justification for, and that's the recasting of Mason Berger. And it couldn't have been any other way, But and, and no disrespect to Joe Anderson whatsoever, but Michael Pitt was just so good in that role that I wish that the consistency had been there.
2: Yeah. And that's not even the show's fault. I mean, that's a Michael Pitt problem. Let's be honest. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, those are good picks. Uh, I have here, Prinrel is really hard to say. <laughs> so Katie Prinrel, I mean, you couldn't have come up, like, it's C-A-D-E. That is not how you say Katie. That's how you spell Katie. That's terrible. It's terrible, guys. Uh, I, and... There must be a better anagram than that.
2: Yeah, that's the problem. It's just like, oh, you guys didn't need to be that texty Thomas Harrisy with that. You could have, you could have just backed off
1: from that. Um, and then uh, it would have been fun if they had found, you know, a way to to bring in some more of the uh, the Fuller crew. You know, like yeah. find a space for Lee Pace in there somewhere. Or Lee Pace uh... should have been the dragon. <laughs> Dollar was amazing.
2: He was, but just think about Lee Pace doing it.
1: Yeah, no, okay, I'm, I'm very good with Armitage <laughs> not being changed. Um, I don't know how you would have done that, and I can't think of who I would like you to get rid of in order to make space for that, because, you know, everybody's amazing on this show. Um, but yeah, I, so when I think of K- Katie Purnrell, I think of characters uh, underserved or that could have been really interesting but weren't given the time like i just kept assuming we we were going to come back to her at some point and that that was going to make her feel more developed and more justified um aside from clearly her presence is justified by that fantastic was it burnt orange or red suit she struts down the hall in that i still remember um but you know so i think of stuff like that um aside from the things I've already said about the season three finale, I have my nitpicks with season three. Um, That's what really wins this award, but I feel like everybody's heard me talk about them either in our episode seven podcast or here. So uh, instead I'm, I'm, I'm throwing uh, the, the, the lack of development of characters like Katie Penrel under, under the bus and Jeremy Davies, I love you, but you were too twitchy.
2: Ah, oh, no, no such thing as too twitchy.
1: Brad, like, he's he's gone to peak da- Davies and gone out the other side, and it's, I, lo- I mean, it's great, it's wonderful. If I hadn't already seen him do the exact same thing in, like, three other roles, it would be, it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been noticeable, but, yeah.
0: All right, my name is John Coletti, I still like the season three finale, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> to the series MVP for, uh, series MVP, single episode. Supporting role so this is different from our last uh, Supporting role MVP Characters or actors I should say Who have only appeared in one Episode null no.
2: yeah this Was fun Sean thanks <laughs> uh, Um I mean I picked The I picked like the one Performance and one performer that stood Out to me that appeared In just one episode which was Really hard to find but it's It's Dr. Sutcliffe and John Benjamin Hickey as Sutcliffe. I mean, he's kind of he wants to like kind of help Hannibal but not help Hannibal and then he just gets he gets the little he gets the little he gets the little tie with his tongue. And it's the one one episode performance that I think kind of like stood out to me if only because I recognized him more than anyone else. <laughs> so, it's Dr. Sutcliffe.
0: For me, uh I've always been interested in how the different killers have justified themselves in terms of uh, philosophy behind what they do, and on that note, I think that Amanda Plummer, in her Season 2 episode, This is the, the Beat Lady, uh, was the one who stood out to me the most. Um, they very minimal in terms of what she needed to do, but she did it very well, and then her final discussion with uh, team, team Sassy Science and Jack I thought was really good.
1: Um, I'm throwing some love to Tom, Dim- uh, Tom Wisdom as Dimond uh, in Antipasto because I thought he took a character that should have been obnoxious uh, and was at certain times obnoxious and really made the most of him. They, I really uh, enjoyed the character when he's being all bitchy and snarky at the beginning and uh, delightful uh, and then transitioned him into uh, predatory enough that we are comfortable with him being killed. Um, and in the middle, we got to have that kind of party. Uh, so, <laughs> for me...
2: It's not that kind of party, Kate. Oh,
1: <laughs> you tell me now. Like, why is the wine? Anyways, um, but, uh, yeah. So, for a single episode, I mean, Plummer's a great choice as well. And John Benjamin Hickey, uh, you know, is another, is another good choice. Um, there have been some memorable killers and everything, but this one... Um, Really, I thought, was very memorable. As Because as like you feel like he must have been in more. But he was only in the one. Because he introduced the beginning, killed at the end. And um, so, yeah, I went with him.
0: Uh, shout out to <clears throat> Molly Shannon and Lance Henriksen, of course, from the, the first season.
2: Lance Henriksen was like a runner-up for me mm-hmm. for this one. Came immediately yeah. to mind. And he, he just has that one scene. Yeah. And nails it. So, yeah.
0: This next category I personally thought was the most difficult. I messaged both of you on Twitter about this. It it was ridiculous. And the fact that the fact that Casey Roll wasn't even on my shortlist and I love Abigail Hobbs's character. What? Yeah, this is the series MVP for multiple episodes supporting role. It's it's unbelievable the amount and quality and caliber of supporting roles Hannibal has had on its run and this, this is an incredibly difficult category, I think. So, Noel, wh- who were you deciding between, and what was your pick?
2: Okay, so my top three were... I'm not going to give, like, in an order. So when I say which one it ended up being, it was basically... It was Casey Rolls, of course, because um, Abigail was great. Um, it was Raul Esparza as Chilton, and it was... Um, Oh crap! I'm blanking on her name. The woman who played Beverly, Hen- Henriette. Um, Henriette Park. Henriette. Henri- yeah, yeah, Park. Um. So it was the three of them, and then I just went. I needed. I I tweeted to you guys that I needed a three-sided coin, and so I just I basically picked a name out of a out of a bag, <laughs> and I'm happy with my selection. And it's Rosalys is Chilton. Um. It was just such a nice. Performance across three seasons of channeling the Chilton that had come before him, basically, as that kind of smarmy, slick, but deeply stupid character. But then just it was season two that kind of like locked him in as I know Hannibal's the bad guy. None of you are listening to me. Why aren't any of you listening to me? And so, plus, everything that he does in season three, just from, it was quantifiably bitchy, is just the best line delivery of anything I think I've heard recently. (laughs) So, it's, it's Esparza. There are other choices that I can totally understand, including someone who wasn't in my top three, who would be Gina Torres. But it's just like... It's as I think, worked really, really well across all three seasons for me.
1: And to correct myself, before the listeners need to do it, Hetienne Park, not Henriette or Henrietta Park. Okay, Hetienne Park. My bad. Thank you. So I apologize Ms. Park. We loved you on the show, Sean. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, like I said, I I'm probably at least from what I've read and what I've heard, one of the the bigger proponents of Abigail Holmes's arc on this series. I I fucking loved it to death, and I thought that she was such an integral character in relation to all of our main characters. But I had it narrowed down to five, and she wasn't even on it. Um, Eddie Izzard was on my top five as Abel Gideon. Uh, Two that I did not consider in the end because they only appeared in one season, which is kind of a lame excuse for not picking them, but it's one that I used anyway, Were Richard Armitage and uh, uh, Michael Pitt as um, Dollar and Berger, who I thought were both just super excellent. And it was such a toss-up for the top two. And in the end, I did not go with Gina Torres, even though I really wanted to. (gasps) I also went with Raul Esparza.
2: Ah, yes! I feel vindicated but disappointed at the same time.
0: (laughs) It was so close for those two, but I felt like just throughout the series of Hannibal... Chilton made a bigger impact, and I could not pick him in the end.
1: It's a clean sweep, guys. Yes. Yeah. rolls again far. excited but disappointed at the same well, time. Well, it's because he got the most to do. If somebody we're going to c- consider a supporting character, for me, at times it's hard to consider Bedelia a supporting character, though she absolutely sure. is. Um, yeah. But you know, But Chilton has definitely, absolutely filled that role throughout the series. Somebody, like, like for example, our friends over at Team Sassy Science got nothing to do in season three. Uh, yeah. So it's, like, they, they, I'm sorry, we love you guys, you're not even in contention because they got, like, two scenes in all of season three. Um, and and so they, like, they need more exposure to be able to go up the list. And for me, Beverly, Hetian uh, Park, fantastic. But again, she's in half of the show she's not in the other half of the show so she didn't have as much opportunity to to grow the character over time and explore more nuances and everything so out of no fault of her own she's not in contention for me Um, I think Casey Rolls is a great choice I think Jillian Anderson is a great choice I think uh, there's a lot I mean this is an embarrassment of riches on this show but when you look at a single person who has been the biggest MVP who fits most accurately as a supporting role, it's Chilton. And way to go, Raul Esparza. Thank you for taking the show when you initially didn't want to do it.
2: <laughs> really? He didn't want to do it. I did not know that. Yeah.
1: Well, oh. cause he,
2: I know he had like scheduling conflicts and everything with SVU, but
1: but it was also about, uh, he needed to get pitched on what, how this Chilton was going to be different than the one dimensional, not interesting character of uh, some of the different adaptations yeah, uh, the
2: Anthony Heald version, sure.
1: Yeah, he didn't want to play. Really, I don't. I haven't actually seen that version, so I don't know. But he didn't want to play the one-dimensional version of this kind of character. Uh, sure. And and so Brian Fuller assured him, "There's, don't worry, we got you. Don't worry. Uh, thank goodness that's the conversation that happened because he's added right. a lot of value to this series.
2: And who else would have been willing to go through the makeup part to be a burnt <laughs> body in that tube? And in that bath, I mean, that was just yeah. great.
1: Oh, speaking of burned in that, another very strong consideration for me for supporting role was uh, uh, Georgia, but she's in two episodes, yeah. so she couldn't be single episode because she's in two. Bye, you, Sean. Anyways, sorry. Back to back to Chilton being awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, and my final note on um, as far as uh, it's just that Chilton's character, uh, so many things about him that we could talk about, but the transition from essentially comedic relief at many times to just utter emotional depth by the end of this to where he's just flat out asking, are you comfortable in Hannibal's skin to Alana in this season finale is, is such an important part of the series. And I, we could not, we could talk for like an hour about as far as those children in this series. Um, but we can move on to series MVP for lead role. And I mean, really, this comes down to two, doesn't it? So we're just going to come down on that. But where do you come down, Noel?
2: Um, I think up to season three, I would have said Mickelson, but after season three, I just reevaluated everything, and I just went, it—it's Dancy all the way for me. Just steady performance from him, dealing with a whole range of complex emotional beats and psychological beats that as an actor i just i just want to know his process for this in a way that the only other person who i'd want to talk to about their process on this show is actually esparza i think those are the two that i'd want to sit down and like talk to about their process for creating these characters and that for me was like kind of the deciding factor is who would I want to talk to more about how they prepared for this? Was it going to be Dancy or Mickelson? And I decided that I'd much rather hear from Dancy about how he approached Will Graham. And that's where that decision ended up falling was it's Dancy's show all the way through, despite the fact that the show's called Hannibal.
0: And once again, I'll fall on the other side of the coin and I, could not express enough how impressed and attracted to Mickelson's interpretation of this I was. Uh, it's at it the point where all I can do is just kind of scoff, if anybody says Anthony Hopkins. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievable where he took this character, and, and part of that, of course, has to do with the writing team and how they wrote him, but Mickelson's delivery of all of this, it... It is named Hannibal, and even though I agree that at least in season one, Will felt like the main character, uh, I Hannibal, Mickelson's Hannibal has left a permanent imprint on my life, uh, which is really not an exaggeration at all. Other actors could have done this character, and it probably would have been good, but the way that he did it, I, it's impossible for me to forget what he did for this series,
1: and. Uh, this works out nicely, because I'm not picking, guys. Come on.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, where what's the tiebreaker here?
1: The tiebreaker, I mean, if you want to be pedantic about it, which I know normally we are all for on this, but I like, that's our jam.
2: I was about to say, that's like the defining trait of this podcast. Yeah,
1: end of just me just... as a critic <laughs> slash podcaster, yes. Um, this is, it's called Hannibal. So that's point. In Hannibal column. Hannibal's column. It's an amazing performance, Mickelson, and it's taking on an iconic role, and and just like demolishing it, like chopping it up, using it as kindling, burning it, like you know, you sending a signal, sending a uh, how you like them apples smoke signal up in the air with the, with the ashes. Like, however, I mean, and, and that's from someone who really enjoyed *Sounds of the Lambs* when they saw it. Uh, however the main character throughout as far as I'm concerned is will. And yes, it's the story of the two of them, but for me, it all comes down to will and say the first hour and a half of this podcast as to why that made the finale a problem for me. But, um, you come back to the same idea, but the, uh, so, so that's a, I mean, it's a fantastic, amazing performance from Dancy. And that's, I mean, I also feel like of the two, that's probably the, that's gotta be the more challenging, uh, like just if you were like to write down on paper things like reasons like do math and say show your work which one is harder, I I feel like probably Dancy has the more challenging role despite Mickelson having to take such a well known character and make it his own, um, uh but f- fuck it this is the last podcast I uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do not have me back on Sean it's a tie. <laughs>
0: That's totally fair. Uh, Okay, so uh, I'm still Sean Colletti, and I still like The Wrath of the Lamb quite a bit. We'll move on to the final uh, category for our awards, which is series MVP for a non-actor not named Brian Fuller. And, of course, the reason that Brian Fuller is not a part of this category is because he is the goddamn showrunner, and we would not have Hannibal, the TV series, without him. So...
1: Everybody knows my pick. It's Brian Reitzel. That's boring and easy and out of the way. So. (laughs) Uh,
0: Noel, who's your pick for this?
2: I made a point of mentioning this person by name in my finale review. And I think it's two sides of the same coin when Kate is going to focus on Brian Reitzel's excellent, excellent score. I have to give this to James Hawkinson, who is the show's director of photography, Uh, This is a guy who has been with the show from the beginning. And basically, the director of photography on a television show is to ensure a continuity of style and appearance. And while Hannibal's had a wide range of terrific directors, Hawkinson is there to make sure that it all feels like Hannibal. And I think that's the big reason why I would give this to give this to him, is that Hawkinson's theirs to make sure that the the visual aesthetic of Hannibal is consistent across 39 episodes, and that's, that's why it's Hawkinson for me. I mean, yes, Reitzel's there to keep the music consistent for 39 episodes, and that's just as important as keeping the visuals consistent. So, and knowing that Kate would pick Brian Reitzel... <laughs> I all, I picked Hawkinson for those reasons. Absolutely. It's Hawkinson all the way for me.
0: My head says Brian Reitzel. Uh, my heart says Steve Lightfoot, who is the basically the second writer for this series after Brian Fuller. Um, it's weird because as we talk about this in the, the final moments of our podcast, uh, you know, the things that stuck out to us about Hannibal, uh, I... I don't necessarily value uh, plot or character development as much as I used to, and writing often comes down to that with uh, TV series. And even so, um, the writing generally, not necessarily limited to character development or plot, but just writing encompasses a whole bunch. And for Brian Fuller to have a accompaniment like Steve Lightfoot, it's its not just that Brian Fuller is the showrunner. I I'm sure that he would absolutely verify this as well. Steve Lightfoot had a huge, huge role in this, and and this is bias as well because I'm most interested in writing in terms of the technical aspects of anything. Um, but absolute hats off to Lightfoot for being basically the second guy on a series that I'm I will happily admit to being probably my favorite series of all time. So he's a big part of that. And I don't think Fuller could have done it without him. Uh, Kate, is there anything that you wanted to mention specifically about Reitzel?
1: I mean, y- y'all have been listening to this podcast for long enough. You can go <laughs> listen to me gush at him uh, in a couple <laughs> interviews at popoptic.org. Uh, I keep doing that popoptic.com uh, slash DVD hyphen shelf hyphen library to see the different interviews uh, I had with uh, roundtables at Comic-Con last year with, with some of the cast and crew, uh, as well as talking with Reitzel for like an hour and a half <laughs> at various points. Um, so instead, I'm going to use this time to say tip of the hat to, uh, to Christopher Hartigan and raise a glass to Janice Poon, because without yes. the costuming yes. and the food, Hannibal would not have been Hannibal.
2: I mentioned both of them in my finale review, too, so I feel good about these choices.
1: Yeah. how many On how many shows do you know the names of the costume designer, uh, the lead costume designer, I should say, and, and the, the food artist? Cause... How many people
2: know, like, the director of photography for a show these days? I yeah. mean, that's just kind of an unsung hero on television shows. Yeah.
1: But these so. are names that I just am readily available. Like it helps that right. we write reviews for this show, so I yes, have that, written that them makes <laughs> a difference yeah. and phrased them specifically over you know over the years, but um or on this podcast I should say. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank yeah. you, thank you all. Yes,
0: and with that, we're going to come to our final section of this final podcast, which is our thank yous and goodbyes, uh, where I try not to cry. Uh, we'll begin with just. A uh, big thank you to all of the, the former guests who have been on the podcast. Uh, I'm going in alphabetical order here. David Bax, Sarah Bunting, Les Chapel, Randy Dinkovich, Tiana Guerrero, my mom.
2: Way to remember your mom this time, Sean. <laughs>
0: hey, I on my initial list of, of these people, I had forgot to put her.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> Bad side. But you fixed it, so it's all good. It's all good.
0: I, I really did. Uh, Molly Eichel. Eric Goldman, Zach Handlin, Libby Hill, Simon Howell, Miles McNutt, Dennis Perkins, Aaron Pinkston, Steve Prokofi, DePines and Gupta, Justine Smith, Tyler Smith, Emily Stevens, and Todd Van D'Or. We have had an embarrassment of riches in terms of uh, guests. And of course, I'm holding off on, on one or two uh, for just a moment. Who, it's, it's been an absolute joy. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to like compare series here or there but it just feels like with Hannibal, um, the people who still watch it or who have stuck with it the whole time are the people who really care about it. And that is absolutely apparent if you go back and listen to these podcasts. All of these people had very passionate things to say. And we really appreciate all of their contributions to this, whether they contributed just for one season or for two or for all three Um It's, it has been an absolute joy talking to to all of you. And I know uh, Kate and I both really appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, And thanks of course, to our special guests. Uh, We were just ridiculously fortunate enough to talk to a composer, writer, director, and actor on the series. So big thanks to Brian Reitzel, Don Mancini, Aaron Abrams, and especially Vincenzo Natale who came on twice. Uh, for multiple seasons, uh, it's always great to get perspectives uh, of people who are involved in the series because they offer something different, whether that's just, you know, providing us with some uh, insider information on stuff that goes on behind the scenes, or, you know, just adding depth or different perspective. And in the same way that our, our previous critic guests have contributed to the podcast. Uh, they have been a huge part of why, especially this last season of This Is Our Design, has been so successful. Uh, a- a- another special shout out to uh, Cooper, Ophelia, and Miko over at Etherootcast, who initially got in contact with us because, uh, I-, I don't think I'm misremembering this, but our uh, podcast inspired them to do their own. And we started ours at the beginning of Season 2, so we missed Season 1, but we went back to do Season one, uh, season 1. And just to have a companion podcast and to have all three of them come on for the Season 3 premiere and then Cooper to come on again uh, last week has been an absolute joy. And and this is really an extension to all of the people who have done uh, Hannibal podcasts and who have contributed to the fandom in that way. But uh, Eat the rootcast has been a huge part uh, of the season, especially for us, because we've had them, and um, we're really grateful. And uh, I, I mean, just speaking for myself, I'm humbled that anybody would choose to do a podcast based on our discussions.
1: Well, and as I said back when I started listening to their fabulous podcast the way that they analyze the show informed the way i analyze the show and made me a better podcaster and uh, critic in regards to to hannibal as did all of our guests and uh, another important one that we're going to get to next
3: hi this is cooper and miko and ophelia from eat the Rootcast, and we are here to thank brian fuller the cast and crew for this amazing bit of art that we have been given for three seasons
4: Having uh, been in this industry in the past and watched a lot of TV over the years, thank you for creating something that made me really inspired, really looked forward to seeing beautiful and horrific uh, moments on screen. Scared me in a way that I haven't been scared in a long time. I don't get to see this, and, I, and I'm very jaded about television. And I have got to spend three lovely seasons where I didn't feel like I was this jaded professional anymore. Mm. He, I was a child again, <laughs> being able to enjoy the beauty and the wonder that was the show.
3: Yes.
4: To all the fans for keeping it alive as long as it was kept alive. It was smart television, which I I think I've also sort of given up on. I mean, I haven't had cable in forever because I've completely given up on anything that comes on network TV.
3: When it was announced that there was going to be a TV series based on Hannibal, I thought, why on earth would anyone want to do this? It seems so pointless. It seems redundant. We've seen this. And to not only reach the level of the material that has come before, but to surpass it time and again and to continually surprise, I could not have conceived that this show would mean what it does to me.
4: Oh, most definitely. Especially after Silence of the Lambs. We yeah. didn't think anybody could outshine Anthony Hopkins. And Mass Mickelson uh brought it. Yeah. Brought yeah. it big time. Uh And gave us something fresh.
3: When that was, that was all the way around. It showed us things we'd never seen. Both horrifying, funny, the tableaus, the artistry of it, the music. Oh, and the music. just everything about this was uh, a miracle. This show is you know it's the kind of show that you don't get surprised when it gets canceled because it was too beautiful to live it yeah. <laughs> it is too perfect to exist because television is not like this no. and for 3 glorious seasons television was like that
4: it was smart it was challenging it was beautiful Yes, no. it didn't talk down to us. It didn't dumb down to it us. It didn't ruin our, our images of the characters. It made them better.
3: No. And so from us at Eat the Guest, to everybody involved in Hannibal, and to all those who love the show, thank you for giving it to us.
4: Yes, thank you. Thank you.
0: Noel Kirkpatrick, who has been our honorary uh, third co-host for all of this. Uh, who has been willing to talk with us for an unreasonable amount of time, including right now.
1: It's ridiculous that you haven't just left. So thank you. (laughs) No, no
2: way. Why would I leave? It's only been three hours and 24 minutes. It's only
1: like (laughs) almost midnight at your time zone. Come on.
2: (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm going to be dead tomorrow, but it's all worth it to talk with you guys about this show I learned so much talking with it and listening to you guys talk about it with other people that, I mean, I listen to very, 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 very few podcasts, mainly because it's hard for me to listen to podcasts. And I always carved out time to listen to This Is Our Design, not only just because you guys would have me on, <laughs> but because you guys always had terrific conversations with your guests and among one another and I just I always wanted to hear what you all had to say about I think one of our favorite shows of all time and I couldn't be happier to be on this episode and discuss this finale with you guys so thank you very much
0: so uh, behind the scenes uh, I I do my little planning for these episodes send out you know Word documents and stuff like that and uh, Noel was a little bit of complaining that he had to do a little bit of homework for this podcast. And uh, on that note, I have a, a very short quiz for Noel, which is a This Is Our Design quiz.
2: Yay! Do Look, I already have season two in Blu-ray, and I have the art book. So what do I get?
0: <laughs> uh, we'll decide that after the fact, but uh, you should you should put your all into these four questions. Okay. Number one, can you name the four recurring segments that we've had on This Is Our Design?
2: Oh, uh, okay, so, um, Kate's Classical Corner, uh, Devil's in the Details, those are the first two, obviously, um, there was Red Meat nope. in season-
1: close. Try again. Ugh! Phone a friend. We were, no, I can't What were, we, ta- what were we talking about? <laughs> why, why did we have to have a special segment? Because it was what?
2: I don't know. I'm really tired like So spoiled meat, spoiled meat, there you ding, go. Ding. See, I'm like half drunk and it's midnight. This isn't fair. I'm just glad that he doesn't have a
1: quiz for me. I hope he doesn't because I'd be screwed.
2: But I have no clue what the fourth one is. He
1: did it earlier this episode?
2: Oh, is does? Oh, yeah, that would count as a recurring segment. Hannibal by the numbers—that would count as a recurring segment. No, and I had a question about that because I was curious about your David Bordwell approach to the show. What about it? What was your question? No, oh, I just—I was curious why you decided to take a David Bordwell approach to the show. <laughs> <laughs> And now, do I have to explain who David Bordwell is for no. anyone? No. <laughs> okay. No, you're good.
0: Uh, listeners can look it up. Um, the reason that I decided to do Hannibal by the numbers, it's it's multifaceted. I actually, before I got into English, I had a really, really influential uh, English teacher in my last year of high school who basically set me on the path that I am now. But before that, I was very into math. Uh, and so numbers, I, I love to death. And I haven't been able to do them uh, at a higher level in a few years. But uh, that's basically why I wanted to, to do numbers in terms of Hannibal, and I just decided... It, it takes a lot of time, by the way. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. I, there's a lot of... It. The first and second viewing are totally fine. First viewing is just like, ah, I'm watching Hannibal. Second viewing, I'm taking notes, I'm, pa- I'm pausing occasionally to write down quotes or whatever. Third viewing is just like two hours for a 42-minute episode. Because I have to keep track of those things. So So that was that. Okay, so three out of four I think is fine. You you phoned a friend for spoiled meat, I think that's okay. Uh can can you name the four episodes by name that you appeared on for this is our
2: design? Sure. Um I did um I did Husan, which was my first episode with you guys.
1: I think I yeah, I did Husan. I you shouldn't I don't know this. Like I said, I would fail oh. this quiz. <laughs> okay.
2: No, I did Husan. Um and then I did this episode, so there's a third, Um, and then I did Mizumono, because that episode took forever for us to do, and then what episode from season one did I guest star with you guys on? I want to say I did the season one finale, so Savro as well.
0: Yep, you got it.
2: Yes. All right, see, that was about me, so of course I would remember it. (laughs) That makes me look like a raging, raging egotist. Thanks, Sean.
0: <laughs> uh, question three out of four. Can you name the directors for those episodes?
2: Oh, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot name the epi- I cannot name the directors for those.
1: Well, you know the director <laughs> for, for Mizumoto. Right. About, we talked about that earlier.
2: Yeah. But no, for the other ones, no. I, c- I couldn't. And not without looking it up. And that would be cheating.
0: Yeah, so David Slade directed both Misumono and Savarou, so the first and second season finale.
2: Oh, did he do Sav- Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. And then Michael Reimer did Michael this one. Michael Reimer did this one, yeah. That I knew, but yeah. Who did Husan?
0: And yeah, the, the, that that would have been the million dollar question. Peter Medek.
2: Yeah, no, that would have never come to me in a gazillion years.
0: And your final question for your This Is Our Design quiz. Uh, what has been different about the introduction of these episodes. And this is our design season three. There's been, there's been a key that I've, I've been very careful about not mentioning this once for over these 13 weeks, but there's been something different about the introduction to these episodes for the season three.
2: See, this is where me like marathoning the podcast episodes <laughs> yeah. is not doing me any favors. I didn't listen to you guys week to week this year because I've been doing a lot more editing at work so I'd never listened to you guys the week of. I ended up, like, listening to you, like, three episodes in a row on, like, a Saturday night. Um, so I have no clue what it is. And I'm very eager to know what it is. Is this... Kate, do you know?
1: No. no. <laughs> not even a little. I'm going to okay, guess, Okay, see, though... I feel good. Oh, yeah, now no, do not feel good. Kate like... doesn't even know. Of course I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess, though, it's something about... Uh, the podcast uh, about Brian like uh, Brian Fuller's adaptation of Thomas Harris's source like I'm guessing that you took out either the NBC part or the Thomas Harris part of what you used to say. Yes? You know that
0: that might actually be correct. <laughs> I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> That's not what I actually changed. What I actually changed was and I I think I actually fucked up at like episode 10 of this season and then I, I had a hard time keeping track but I alternated our names. Oh, like
2: the oh, like the just screen. like the credits. Oh, Aww. nice. That's so cool, Sean. No, I would have. I I I would have never picked up on that, and I Kate did pick up didn't. on it. On, so I feel a lot better about myself. So I only got like one point
1: five of these correct. Works for me. Better than I would have <laughs> done.
0: <laughs> ah. Our our next thanks of course, goes to uh, Ricky D over at soundonsite.org. Now, popoptic.com, who's been the general editor and who has been an unbelievable supporter of this podcast. Uh, We were all very hesitant about starting it to begin with. We we didn't know if we were going to do this to begin with, and if you actually go back and listen to the very first episode of This Is Our Design, I think that's when we mentioned that it was basically the, the night after it aired uh, season two, episode one, uh, Kaiseki was like, Oh, yep. This was an episode. We better fucking do this podcast. And, and then we decided to do it. And, and Ricky D was a huge part of that. And all of I mean, it, we, there's so much to say about him and his contributions to sound on site that we can't even do justice to it at this point. But um, uh, big shout out to him for, allowing me to write for the site in the first place and for being a huge supporter of this podcast.
1: I can't say anything better than that. So I'm going to continue to just co-sign everything that you say here, Sean. Very glad. I I was skeptical. I was very vocal. We don't need a prequel Hannibal serial killer show. There have been so many. We don't need it. I love everything Brian Fuller's ever done, but I don't get it. And then we watched, I watched the pilot and went, okay, I get it now. I was wrong. And I'm so, like I, like I've said before, I'm never more glad to be wrong than when I'm wrong like this.
0: And next up is, uh, we, we never got to talk to him, unfortunately, but we can't not give our thanks, uh, without mentioning Brian Fuller who, uh, created this series, but, you know, you encounter some things in your viewing or your reading or you're listening and you're like, oh, well, this is clearly a marriage of talents that needed to happen. And if you go back and, and look on Brian Fuller's track record, he's a person who, as a writer, has been very interested in death as a concept. Obviously, Dead Like Me, Wonderfalls and, and Pushing Daisies had very intense interests in death. And when it came to Hannibal, it just seemed like, yeah this is just an obvious fit and it ended up being that product and i i i mean i already said it i think on this podcast this this is my favorite show of all time even after three seasons and that's no disrespect to the other things that are in contention for that whether that's mad men or breaking bad or sopranos or the wire or deadwood but it, it's just he did something which i really wish that more showrunners would do with television series which is to appreciate the the form and style as much as the content itself and where those other series that i just mentioned are just pretty much flawless when it comes to plot and character development uh brian fuller made sure that the presentation of hannibal was a huge part of the experience and so i at least for my part i really and greatly appreciate that aspect of it uh the, the next thanks uh really I mean, in, in most podcasts, and I'm going to make an exception to this because I feel very strongly about this, this should be the first and foremost thanks. Uh, this is to the, the listeners and the commenters over at soundonsite.org and the posters at uh, iTunes who have given us ratings. Uh, I've also posted various threads for this over at IMDB and the subreddit for Hannibal. I mean, we probably would do this anyway, <laughs> even if we had zero listeners. But the fact that we have at least one listener, and in actuality, it's a lot more than that. Um, it's it's so gratifying to to have those people to uh, not just to like listen to what we say, but to respond and have thoughts of their own, and just to contribute to the whole discussion about this. The thing is, we feel very passionately about Hannibal as a TV series, and the fact that there are other people around us who also feel that, and who have seeked us, seeked us out, sought us out, and uh, who have found us and and have become part of our listenership, that means a great deal to us. I know, um, Kate, I'm sure you agree with that.
1: Absolutely, it's been great to get to know a handful of our listeners uh over the past you know couple of years here and uh talked to you guys on on Twitter and on and you know the few who have emailed us and uh left comments um and I would name a few but I would forget the names of more than I would say uh, cuz I have I'm bad at names but uh we we read e- every email you send. We read every review or rating. That, uh, I mean, obviously we can't read the ratings, but every review that goes up on iTunes, and we we read every tweet you guys send us. So, uh, you know, thank you, David. Thank you, Christine. Thank you to all of our regular listeners over the years. Um, yeah, it's great. We, we do this anyway, but it's nice to know that we're not the only ones out there who love the show.
0: And my final thanks, of course, goes to my co-host Kay Kolzik, who. I think I've said it before, but just to reiterate, reiterate, um, could not have had a better co-host for this in any shape or form. Uh, and it's not just the contributions that you make to Case uh, Classical Corner, which is a an area that I have no knowledge of and wouldn't be able to, to add anything to. But, you know, we, we do things differently on this podcast, which, uh, you know, some people will talk about, the, the various details and be like this was good this was not uh, at least for me as a TV critic or somebody who wants to, to try to be the best TV critic that I can I, I want to go into the more thematic stuff and really get into you know what a series is doing at its core and uh, in that regard I it's been unbelievable having you on because it, you are able to respond to everything you have Incredible insight. It's doesn't. It, there's no question about why you would be in your spot as TV editor over at our sites and writer at the AV Club, and that's it's it's been my my favorite part of doing this is our design is having somebody to share this with.
1: Thank you so much, on And yeah, you do all the hard work. <laughs> I I uh, come and you ask incredibly insightful, thoughtful questions on themes and imagery and cultural touch points and i go oh no stuff and things uh so thank you for for making this is our design happen and for all the hard work that you have done uh to make sure every to, to lead each podcast and lead the discussion and uh make sure that we uh have all these great topics to discuss and really dive in with, um, this, I, we are co-hosts. Yes. But I think of this is our design as uh very much your podcast, uh, that I'm fortunate enough to get to be on all of. So thank you so much, Sean, for the past few years.
0: And it's only taken three hours and 40 minutes for me to start crying. So that's, that's good.
1: Yay. <laughs> on that note, uh, it's probably time. It's bittersweet, but It's time to sign off.
0: Definitely. Um, Noel, anything that you would like to plug listeners before we head out?
2: No, I'm, I'm just really glad you guys had me on again. And I've really appreciated, again, like I said earlier, everything you guys have done to contribute to the discourse about Hannibal. And it's been really, really valuable. I don't want to plug anything about myself. This is about the two of you and the work that you guys have done for the past two years. Covering this show through this podcast, and it's just been really lovely.
1: He's Noel Kirkpatrick of TV dot com, and you can find him <laughs> on Twitter at NoelRK, and he's fabulous. And you can listen to him at time to time on Totally Tubular, the TV dot com podcast. So I'll do it for you, Noel. Thank you so much for being our our Thanks. third chair.
2: <laughs> really, all I really all I want is for the three of us to find another show to talk about. That's <laughs> that's what I want.
0: That would be ideal. Um uh, uh Kate, anything you wanna mention and and maybe this would be a good time to, to tell listeners what Pop Optic is all about.
1: Pop Optic is the reinvention of soundonsite.org, P O P O P T I Q dot com, Pop Optic. Uh and anyone looking for the podcast at Sound On Site will be uh, uh automatically redirected to Pop Optic. Uh so feel free to share this is our design away. It is sound on site has closed its doors. Uh, some of the original people from sound on site and some new people have, have come together to make pop optic. Um, but this is our design is still there and will always remain there. So don't worry, but we're doing a lot of fun stuff. So come check us out.
2: Can I make one recommendation for you guys? Absolutely. Maybe take the pop optic, dot org url just in case he keeps <laughs> saying keep it growing it
1: up <laughs> yeah yeah maybe well i've got four years of sound on site dot org i've got no no get out I, of understand. My I understand yeah. i understand i'm just saying asking. yes
2: yeah maybe sit on the dot org domain just, just
0: to in be case safe. yeah and uh as a final mention uh you'll be able to read my my final review for hannibal over at uh, overmind.com uh big thanks to them for allowing me to, to keep writing for uh, the series and once again to everybody we've already mentioned This Is Our Design has been a, a huge part of my life over the past couple of years and uh, it's certainly bittersweet it's also very appropriate that as we're wrapping up we're transitioning into popoptic.com and also in my personal life that I'm uh, making a big move outside of California to, to move back to, to uh, England to continue my um, education so um, so everything seems to be happening at the same time, and while I'm hoping that we continue to, to receive more Hannibal, Brian Fuller's Hannibal, because it's such a extraordinary series, I, I feel this is a, a very appropriate end. So possibly for the last time, and if... Of course, if we get more Hannibal, Kate and I will will be back to talk about that. Even if not, there are chances that we'll be talking about the original source material. Whether that's in the, the this is our design format or guesting on uh, either Rootcast, you'll be able to, to hear us talk a little bit more about the Thomas Harris properties at that point. But uh, for now, for the final time, thank you to everybody involved. You have been listening to this is our design.
3: Silence.